This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa aqibatu lil muttaqeen. Wa la udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lahu waliyu salihin. وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 27th day of the month of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah of our Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Until therefore today is the 27th session and sitting of the reading and commentary of Tafsirul Jalalain by its two authors, Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Siyuti, alayhima rahmatullahi ta'ala. And today, inshallah ta'ala, we begin with the recitation and the reading of the 28th Juz. But before we do that, I asked a question yesterday concerning a verse in Surah Al-Najm, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى That a person will not have except that which they earn of their deeds. And I said, but in the previous verse, the previous surah to that that we had taken, which was Surah Al-Tur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about how children will benefit from being raised and in, in, in elevated in their ranks in Jannah to the ranks of their parents. In the verse of Allah Azza wa Jalla, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَاتَّبَعَتْهُمْ ذُرِّيَّتُهُمْ بِإِيمَانٍ الْحَقْنَا بِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَمَا أَلَتْنَاهُمْ مِنْ عَمَلِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ and so how do we reconcile between the verse that says that you only get what you get and the other one where people are clearly benefiting from the actions of others. And there are a number of responses. The first of them is that the sunnah has specified certain deeds that if you perform them, you can benefit others through them. And so that is a specification in the sunnah. Generally speaking, the rule is that you only take what you earn, what you do from actions or what you take with you. But the sunnah has made exceptions to that. And from those exceptions is dua. That you make dua for someone, for the deceased person, for your family, for your children, for your loved ones, for the Muslims in general. That is something which other people benefit from. And that which the sunnah has also specified in that regard is hajj and umrah. That if you make hajj and umrah on behalf of someone, that they get the reward of that. And so the sunnah has clearly come with its specifications. That's the first response. The second response is that those children that Allah Azza wa Jal are speaking about enter into Jannah primarily because of their own deeds. So when Allah says in Surah Al-Najm, you only get what you earn, they enter into Jannah because of their Iman and because of their Tawheed, then it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who favors them by giving them an increase in reward. Just as Allah Azza wa Jal, when we perform a deed, may increase its reward and multiply it many times. And so that is a type of multiplication for them. And so therefore, the two verses do not conflict with one another. And the third of those responses is that the children are an action of the parents because the parents are the ones who gave them tarbiyah and called them to iman and encouraged them and motivated them and taught them and educated them. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you only get what you earn. It is, they are part of the results of their parents. And so therefore, they are an extension of their good work. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it from their work and the children benefit in that regard because of their closeness to their parents and what they did in terms of following them in goodness 
and in the guidance that Allah Azza wa bestowed upon them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So inshallah ta'ala today, as I said, we begin with the, uh, with the first surah of the 28th juz of the Qur'an. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidil anbiya al-mursaleen. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi al-ma'in. Allahumma gfir li shaykhina wa li walidina wa li jimu al-muslimin. Qala al-musallifu rahimuhullah ta'ala fi tafsirihi. Surat al-Mujadila 58. The dispute. This surah is Medinan and has 22 ayats. So this is the 58th surah of the Quran and the first in, so in the 28th juz of the Quran. And that is Surah Al-Mujadila or Mujadara. Both are correct pronunciations, Mujadila and Mujadara. And this is a surah which is Medinan as author Ta'ala mentions and it is by Ijma' more or less of all of the scholars of Tafsir. And these surahs now in the 28th juz of the Qur'an, the majority of them will be Medinan surahs, which goes against somewhat the grain of what is the norm as we come towards the end of the Qur'an, where the majority of the surahs that are especially small or shorter in the number of verses tend to be Meccan surahs, because one of the attributes of the Meccan surahs is that they have short poetic ending verses. The 28th Juz is an exception to that rule where the majority of its surahs, if not all of them, are Madani surahs. And the Madani surahs, as we know, are surahs that speak about many detailed rulings. Just as we covered in Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran and Al-Nisa and those surahs, they cover detailed rulings and they discuss issues concerning the hypocrites and concerning the things that the Muslim community needed to know in the time of the Madinan period of Islam. And so therefore there is a slight exception to the general rule when it comes to these ending surahs of the Qur'an. And so as we said, Surah Al-Mujadila and Mujadala, both of them are correct pronunciations. And some of the scholars said that one of the names of this surah is Surah Al-Zihar. Surah Al-Zihar. And that is mentioned in some of the books of Tafsir, but it is not a common name for this surah. And the most common name is the one that is affirmed here. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قد سمع الله قول التي تجادلك في زوجها وتشتكي إلى الله والله يسمع تحاوركما إن الله سميع بصير الله has heard the words of the woman who speaks with you about her husband meaning consults you Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam about her husband who pronounced the hard divorce on her this occurs when a man says to his wife, You are to me like my mother's back. She asked the Messenger of Allah about it, and he told her that she was now unlawful to her husband, as it was the custom among them that the hard divorce necessitated a perpetual separation. A perpetual separation. The woman was Hawla, was Hawla bin Ta'laba, and the man was Aws ibn As-Samit, and later complaints, i.e., about her isolation, poverty, and slaughter before Allah, meaning saying, I have small children by him. If I keep them, they will be hungry, and if I hand them over to him, they will be lost. Allah hears the two of you talking together. Allah is all hearing, all seeing, meaning, and all knowing. So, this first verse of Surah Al Mujadira is the cause of revelation for much of the verse, or especially the opening passage of the Surah. And this is something which has come before elsewhere in the Quran that has been mentioned, such as in the opening passage of Surah Al Hazab. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about the issue of lihar in passing. This is now the detailed explanation of this law and it is one of the laws concerning divorce. 
and the 28th juz will mention a number of laws concerning these issues in terms of divorce and there is a surah towards the end of this juz that is dedicated to that topic of vihar as we said before is what they used to have a common practice in the days of jahiliyyah where if they wanted to divorce their wives but they wanted to do it in not, not a very nice way where the woman would kind of become suspended in the sense that they wouldn't be able to live together husband and wife as a husband and wife usually live together but at the same time they cannot be separated either it's not a complete divorce and that is called zihar and zihar literally means the back and that's because they used to say that you are like the back of my mother to me you are like the back of my mother to me that is the expression that they would use anti ummi. so when they say that you are like the back of my mother to me basically what it means is you are to me as I would treat my mother and clearly the way that we treat our mother is very different to the way that you treat your wife in many regards and respects. And so when it comes to that intimacy, that is what is being referred to. And that is called dihar. And it was a very common practice in the days of Jahiliyyah. And it continued for a period in Islam until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal these verses. There is a specific cause of revelation here, which is the one that the author rahimahullah ta'ala is referring to. And even though that is a specific cause of relation, meaning that it was revealed because of this incident, as we mentioned before, that doesn't restrict the ruling just to that couple or to that people. It is a general ruling. And that incident is what is connected in the Sunnah of Ibn Majah and in the other books of Sunan. In the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha that she said, Blessed be the one whose hearing encompasses everything. For I was in the same house as the woman who came to complain of the prophets, to, to, to the Prophet وسلم, about her husband. And I could only hear some of her words and other words would escape me. And Allah says from above the seven heavens that he had everything. And that is because as we said the Prophet lives in a room, not a house. And so Aisha is on one side and the Prophet is speaking to this woman on the other side. And she can see them and she knows that they're there and she can even hear parts of their conversation. But not all of them because they're speaking in low voices. And the woman is the Sahabiya Khawla bint Tha'laba radiyallahu anha. And she's come to complain of her husband, Aus ibn al-Samit, radiyallahu anhu, from the companions of the Ansar. And Aus ibn al-Samit is the brother of the more famous companion, Ubadah ibn al-Samit, radiyallahu anhu, was from the early companions of the Ansar to accept Islam. And he was one of the ones who went and gave the Pledge of Allegiance at Aqaba. Aus ibn al-Samit, he makes his statement to his wife. So Khawla bin Tha'laba comes to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and she complains to him. And she says, O oh Messenger of Allah, I dedicated my life to this man. I gave him my youth and I gave him the contents of my stomach, meaning I gave him many children. And now that I am old in age and I can no longer have children, he compares me to his mother. Meaning that I gave him so much time and so much effort and so And that is why we mentioned previously in one of the surahs of the Quran, I think in Surah Al-Nisa, that Allah Azza wa said, don't harm women or don't force them to leave you. Because of your harm, meaning that a common, and even till today, a common way of getting people to get into divorce from a husband to a wife is that he harms her so much that she has no other choice except to seek separation. And then he takes from her her dowry back. This is something similar. O Messenger of Allah, this is what happened. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, I don't know, because revelation had yet to come. And then Allah revealed these verses in the Quran. And these are the verses that the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, or the story that the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, is referring to. And in that hadith, she says to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam that I complain to no one except Allah. Allahumma inni ashku ilayk. And that is why Allah, azzawajal, replies and says that he heard the complaint of the woman because of her statement to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam.
الذين يظاهرون منكم من نسائهم ما هن أمهاتهم إن أمهاتهم إلا اللائي ولدنهم وإنهم ليقولون منكرا من القول وزورا وإن الله لعفو غفور For those of you who divorce your wives by equating them with your mothers, pronouncing the Vihar divorce mentioned in the previous ayat, they are not your mothers. The Vihar pronouncement equates them with your mothers. Your mothers are only those who gave birth to you. What you are saying is wrong and a slanderous lie, meaning, and anyone who does this must do a kafara to expiate that. But Allah is ever pardoning, ever forgiving. In verse number two, the alternate readings are Yadhaharuna and Yadhaharuna. Yadhaharuna and Yadhaharuna. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, as he mentioned in Surah Al-Ahzab, concerning this, that just because you equate your wife to your mother, doesn't make her your mother. And just as if you equate an adopted son to be like a real son, doesn't make them your real children. And so therefore, Allah is saying the same thing here. Don't do this because it doesn't make a difference in terms of that relationship. And instead what you are doing is, is, is in, uh, embarking upon a sin. And disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa says at the end of this verse, But Allah is of pardoning most merciful to show that if people make tawbah and they turn away from this, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive them. وَالَّذِينَ يُظَاهِرُونَ مِن نِسَائِهِمْ ثُمَّ يَعُودُونَ لِمَا قَالُوا فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَمَةٍ مِّن قَبْلِ أَن يَتَمَاسَّا ذَلِكُمْ تُوْعَظُونَ بِهِ وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرٌ Those who divorce their wives by equating them with their mothers and then wish to go back on what they said, i.e. and want to keep their wives, despite the hard pronouncement which has made them unlawful to them, must set free the slaves before the two of them may touch one another, i.e. meaning and have sexual intercourse. This is what you are enjoined to do. Allah is aware of what you do. In verse number three, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives the ruling of al-dhihar. If a person makes this statement towards their wife, what is the expiation? And Allah says, those who make dhihar, and then they want to go back on what they said. The author says, meaning that they want to keep their wives. And that is the position of Al-Imam Shafi'i. Because as we said numerous times, the author is from the scholars of the Shafi'i Madhab. The position of Imam Shafi'i, that means that if you want to return to them, meaning that the period of dhihar is there, and you haven't chosen to divorce them. Nor have you chosen to take them back. You've left them suspended. That's what it says it refers to. But other scholars in the opinion of the majority is to return to them, meaning that you want to have marital relations with them again. You compare them to your mother, but now you want to have marital relations with them. Whether that means that you have the intention to do so, or whether you physically want to do it. Ikhtilaf or difference of opinion amongst them. The point being that that is what is being referred to. You make this comparison, now you want to go back. So how do you go back? There is an expiation. The expiation is number one, which is mentioned in this verse, verse number three, that you must free a slave. فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَ You must free a slave before you can go back. فَمَنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ فَصِيَامُ شَهْرَيْنِ مُتَتَابِعَيْنِ مِنْ قَبْلِ فَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَإِطْعَامُ سِتِّينَ مِسْكِينًا ذَلِكَ لِتُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَتِلْكَ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ وَلِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Anyone who cannot find the means, i.e. to free a slave, 
must fast for two consecutive months before the two of them may touch one another again. And anyone who is unable to do that, i.e. fast, must feed sixty-four people before the couple may have sexual intercourse. Each poor person should be fed the staple food of the land where they live. That alleviation through the kafara is to affirm is to affirm your belief in Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. These rulings are Allah's limits. The unbelievers will have a painful punishment. And so, therefore, that is the next expiation that if you cannot. Uh, free a poor person, uh, free a, a slave, then you must fast for two months consecutively. And if you cannot fast for two months consecutively, then you must feed 64 people. And so the expiation of the heart is one of the strictest in terms of the religion, in terms of the expiation that a person can perform. And similar to it is the expiation of the one who has marital relations during the daytime of Ramadan whilst they are fasting. And so therefore these are extremely strict expiations because of the gravity of the sin. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you must fast if you can't free a slave two months consecutively. And that is why Allah Azza wa says, mutatabi'in. And the position of many of the scholars, therefore, is that it must be consecutive. Meaning that you can't just take days off. That you can't, unless you have a genuine excuse that you're sick, you can't just take days off. To the extent that some of them, and this is the position of Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that even Eid and stuff you can't take off. Meaning that you plan those two months of fasting at a time when you know that you don't have to travel. When you know that Eid won't come in so you're going to have to take a day off because you're not allowed to fast on Eid and so on. You have to plan it so that you have those two months. Don't just do, you know, start fasting because next week is Eid. Then the week after, you know, you have to travel. Then the week after. And that in that way you're playing around with the Sharia. And that is because of how strict this ruling is. And if you're unable to, then you feed 60 poor people. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحَادُّونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ كُبِتُوا كَمَا كُبِتَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ وَقَدْ أَنْزَلْنَا آيَاتٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ وَلِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ Those who disagree and oppose Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will be subdued and overcome as those before them were also subdued and overcome when they opposed their messengers before we have sent down clear signs which indicate that the messengers speak the truth. The unbelievers will have a humiliating punishment. يَوْمَ يَبْعَثُهُمُ اللَّهُ جَمِيعًا فَيُنَبِّئُهُمْ بِمَا عَمِلُوا أَحْصَاهُ اللَّهُ وَنَسُوهُ وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدٌ On the day Allah raises up all of them together, He will inform them of what they did. Allah has recorded it, although they have forgotten it. Although they have forgotten it. Allah is witness of all things. أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مَا يَكُونُ مِنْ نَجْوَى ثَلَاثَةٍ إِلَّا هُوَ رَابِعُهُمْ وَلَا خَمْسَةٍ إِلَّا هُوَ سَادِسُهُمْ وَلَا أَدْنَى مِنْ ذَلِكَ وَلَا أَكْثَرَ إِلَّا هُوَ مَعَهُمْ أَيْنَمَا كَانُوا ثُمَّ يُنَبِّئُهُمْ بِمَا عَمِلُوا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ Do you not see and know that Allah knows what is in the heavens and on the earth? Three men cannot confer together secretly without him being the fourth of them, i.e. through his knowledge, or five without him being the sixth of them, or fewer than that, or more, without him being with them wherever they are. Then he will inform them on the day of rising what they did. Allah has knowledge of all things. Verse number seven, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about how Allah Azza wa Jal is all seeing, all knowing, all hearing. A group of people do not come together except that Allah Azza wa Jal is a witness over them and hears and sees everything that they do. And this verse is often misused and used by people as an evidence to show that Allah is with us, that Allah is everywhere. 
Because they say Allah says that if there's three of you, he's the fourth of you. If there's five of you, he's the sixth of you. So they show, or they use it to show or claim that it means that Allah is with us, that he's not above his throne, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is an incorrect opinion. As the author, Allah ta'ala, mentioned, the meaning of this is that Allah is with us in his knowledge, with his sight, with his hearing, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the greatest proofs of that is that Allah mentions it explicitly. That it is with his knowledge that he's with us at the beginning of the verse and the end of the verse. Alam tara anna Allah yalam. Do you not see that Allah knows? And at the end of the verse, in Allah bi kulli shayin alim. Indeed, Allah has knowledge over all things. So Allah explicitly Himself mentions in the verse that it is knowledge that is being referred to. Alam tara ila aladina nuhu anin najwa thumma yaudun lima nuhu anhu wa yatanajun bil ithmi wal udwan wa maqsiyat rasul wa ida jauka hiyuka bima lam yuhiyuka bihillah wa yakulun fi anfusihim wa yakulun fi anfusihim laula yuadzibun Allah bima nqul do you not see those who are forbidden to confer together secretly, returning to the very thing they were forbidden to do, and conferring together secretly in wrongdoing and enmity, and disobedience to the messengers of Allah? This is a reference to the Jews. The Prophet forbade them, forbade them the secret conferring which they were doing, whispering together so that doubts would fall into their hearts. And when they come to you, they greet you. Prophet was words Allah has never used in greeting you by saying As-salamu alayka which means poison be upon you showing that they wished him dead and say to themselves why does Allah not punish us for what we say in the greeting we gave if you had been a prophet then Allah would have punished us so he is not a prophet hell will be enough for them they will roast in it what an evil destination in verse 8 of Surah Al-Mujadila Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about these etiquettes now and they will continue for a number of verses and that is the etiquette of conferring either people between themselves or in terms of general conferring when it comes to the, with the Prophet ﷺ. And that is because one of the greatest rules and rulings of Islam is that we are mindful of the feelings of others. So that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, if there are three of you, then two of you should not confer in secret to the exclusion of the third. Because at the very least that person will think that they're speaking about me. Even if you need to speak to that person, you do it away from that person. You go away. You don't do it in his presence because that person will have, at the very least, that doubt within that within his mind or her mind. And so that is from the beauty of this religion. This particular verse, though, verse number eight, refers to a certain incident, and that is collected in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, as the author, Rahimahullah Taala, has pointed to, and there is an authentic narration of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhuma that he said that some of the Jews of Medina would come to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And they would secretly or very slyly try to change the greeting of As-salamu alaykum, As-salamu alayk with the lamb, which means may peace be upon you, to without the lamb, As-sam. And Sam in the Arabic language, as the author mentions, is poison. May poison be upon you. And they would try to do this in a way that would change the meaning. So rather than it becoming a greeting and a dua, it is now a curse and a threat. And then they would go away and they would confer with one another, which is what Allah is referring to. And they would say, If his God knows, then why doesn't his God punish us because of what we say to him? And that is why the verse was revealed. Allah refers to this. Those are the people that do this. And Allah says that he knows what they do and they will be held to account for it. 
يا أيها الذين آمنوا إذا تناجيتم فلا تتناجوا بالإثم والعذوان ومعصية الرسول وتناجوا بالبد والتقوى واتقوا الله الذي إليه تحشرون Rather, convert together in goodness and faithfulness of Allah. Be faithful of Allah, Him to whom you will be gathered. إِنَّ مَنْ نَجْوَى مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ لِيَحْزُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَيْسَ مِضَارِّهِمْ شَيْئًا إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَوَكَّلِ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Conferring in secret about sin and other bad things is from the delusion of shaytan to cause grief to those who believe. But it, can, but it can not harm them at all unless by Allah's permission, meaning by His will. So let the believers put their trust in Allah. So we have a number of different types of conferring, as mentioned in verses 8 to 10. From them is when you confer, as we mentioned, at the exclusion of someone else that is present. And from the conferring is what people do in secret, meaning that they come together to confer in secret because of some sin and evil or crime that they are going to commit. People get together in a place. And they don't exclude anyone from their group, but it is done in a way that will be harmful because they're planning to do something evil, to commit a crime and so on. Allah forbids from that. And that is why our religion speaks about being transparent and open. And that is why, for example, even in the marriage contract, you have a witness and you have the wali and you have people that should know because of the walima and so on, because these things are open. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jalla mentioned later on in the Quran that from the ways that divorced people should reconcile. What, what is recommended is that they should have witnesses to it because our religion is one about transparency and openness so that no one thinks that this person, for example, is doing something untoward or they're doing something wrong or committing some type of disobedience. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قِيلَ لَكُمْ تَفَسَّحُوا فِي الْمَجَالِسِ فَافْسَحُوا يَفْسَحِ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَإِذَا قِيلَ انشُزُوا فَانشُزُوا يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ دَرَجَاتٍ وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرٌ You who believe, when you are told, make room in the gathering, i.e. a reference to the gathering of the Prophet ﷺ, and to dhikr, remembrance of Allah, so that those who come to join you can sit down, then make room, and Allah will make room for you in the garden. And when you are told, get up, meaning for the prayer, and other good actions, get up. Allah will raise in rank, i.e. in the paradise, those of you who believe and obey by doing so. And those who have been given knowledge, Allah is aware of what you do. In verse number 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives another very good etiquette from the social etiquettes of Islam. And that is, that it is not allowed to force someone to stand up or sit up from the place that they are sitting in, that you don't move them. Some of the scholars said this means in jihad, if someone has a position in jihad means they've been told to stand in a certain place, you don't come and you don't move them. Another said it is about the gatherings of knowledge, like the gatherings of the Prophet If someone is sitting in a lecture and they're sitting there, you don't come and you tell them to move, I'm going to sit there, that's my place. That's not allowed in Islam. And likewise the Salat al-Jumu'ah, to get someone and move them from their place. And that is why the scholars, the majority of them said it is a general verse that you don't tell people to move from their place, unless they willingly do so. But rather what you do, is you ask them to make space. Tafassahu. Make space for me. Meaning move down, move to the side, help me, make some space for me, let me sit amongst you. Abd Abdullah ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhumah, in the hadith al-Bukhari, said we were forbidden from telling people to move from their places. But we were allowed to tell them to make room for us. 
and that is the meaning of tafasr. Fasr means to make space, make space for us, and that is what is allowed. This is clearly not in its uh, entirety, meaning that it's not uh, universal. There are exceptions to this rule. Because it's reported, for example, that Rabbi ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu would move people if they were standing behind the Imam in the front row in the time of Umar radiallahu anhu, because that was a place that was specified for him. He had more right to it because that was the place that he was told to have, to be behind the Imam because of his knowledge of the Quran radiallahu anhu. So there are exceptions to that, but this is the general rule. And so a common mistake is for people to come and tell people to move from their place in the Jum'ah prayer or elsewhere. But rather you ask people to make space. And the alternative readings of Majlis are Majalis. Majalis. And that is the reading of Asim. Everyone else reads it as Majlis. And Unshuzu Inshizu with the Kasra upon the Sheen. And from the benefits of this verse is that it shows us the virtues of the people of knowledge. Allah Azza wa says, amanu minkum. Allah raises those of you with Iman in station. But the people of knowledge, stations. They have many more stations. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ, the example of the scholar over the worshipper is like the example of the moon over the stars. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا نَاجَيْتُمُ الرَّسُولَ فَقَدِّمُوا بَيْنَ يَدَيْنَ جَوَاكُمْ صَدَقَةٌ ذَلِكَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَأَطْهَرٌ فَإِنْ لَمْ تَجِدُوا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ You who believe, when you want to consult the messenger privately, proceed your private consultation by giving sadaqah. That is better for you and purer, i.e. more likely to purify you of your own actions. But if you cannot find the means to give any sadaqah, Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. The implication was that they should not engage in private consultation with the Prophet until they had given sadaqah. Then this was abrogated by the next ayat. أَأَشْفَقَتُمْ أَن تُقَدِّمُوا بَيْنَ يَدَيْنَ جَوَاكُمْ صَدَقَاتِ فَإِذْ لَمْ تَفْعَلُوا وَتَابَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ فَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَأَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَاللَّهُ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ are you afraid to give gifts of sadaqah before your private consultation? Does poverty make you fear giving sadaqah? If you do not give sadaqah, but Allah turns to you and excuses you, at least establish the prayer and pay zakat, and obey Allah and His Messenger. Allah is aware of what you do. Verses 12 and 13 speak about specific warnings concerning the Prophet And that is that when many of the companions started to ask for private time from the Prophet Najwa means secret consultation, private consultation. I want one-on-one time with you, O Messenger of Allah. So one person comes because he has a question, and another person comes because they just want some time with the Prophet and a third person wants to come because they love the Prophet and so it becomes too much for him, because everyone is demanding this. And so Allah says, if you must do so, give sadaqah first, pay something, because as we know, when you tell people to pay for something, 99% of people turn away. And so that is what is being meant here. And then Allah Azza wa abrogated it in the next verse. It is said that this is an example of an abrogation before the ruling is even applied. Meaning Allah gave the rule and then He abrogated it immediately. And some of the scholars said that there was a short space of time between the two verses. And no one except Ali radiallahu anh actually did this. Meaning He gave sadaqah and then He had some... He had a private question with the Prophet ﷺ, and then it was abrogated. And Allah Azza wa knows best. But it gives an etiquette. The point is the etiquette, meaning don't do this so often. Don't become burdensome upon the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ can't deal with each and every single one of you individually. And similar to that is what people do in our time. 
when they will go to an imam and there's hundreds of people and everyone wants one-on-one time with the imam, one-on-one time on their questions. And yes, no doubt there are certain issues that require that private time and consultation, but there is a place and a time and a space for that. But generally for every person to ask for a private time and a private question from one individual becomes extremely difficult for that person then to do anything else. And that is the etiquette that Allah Azza wa Jal gives to the companions for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ تَوَلَّوْا قَوْمًا غَضِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مَا هُمْ مِنْكُمْ وَلَا مِنْهُمْ وَيَحْلِفُونَ عَلَى الْكَذِبِ وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ Do you not see those hypocrites who have turned people, meaning you the Jews, with whom Allah is angry? They, i.e. the hypocrites, belong neither to you, meaning the believers, nor to them, i.e. the Jews. They waver between the two, and they swear to falsehood, i.e. saying that they are believers, and do so knowingly, i.e. Knowing that they are lying in what they say. Allah has prepared a terrible punishment for them. How evil is what? Referring to the acts of disobedience they have been doing. They have made their oaths into a cloak. I.e. a covering to protect themselves, themselves and their property and barred the believers from doing jihad in the way of Allah by killing them and taking their property so they will have the humiliating punishment. Neither their wealth nor their children will help them at all against the punishment of Allah. Such people are the companions of the fire. Remaining in it timelessly forever. يَوْمَ يَبْعَثُهُمُ اللَّهُ جَمِيعًا فَيَحْلِفُونَ لَهُ كَمَا يَحْلِفُونَ لَكُمْ وَيَحْسَبُونَ أَنَّهُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ أَلَى إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ On the day Allah raises up all of them. Them together they will swear to him that they are believers just as they have sworn to you. And imagine they have something to stand upon. Meaning that their oaths will help them in the next world as they help them in this world. No, indeed, it is they who are the liars. Istahwada alayhimu shaytanu fa'ansahum dhikrallah Ula'ika hizbu shaytani ala inna hizba shaytani humul khasirun Shaytan has gained mastery over them because they obey him and made them forget the remembrance of Allah. Such people are the party and followers of shaytan. No, indeed, it is the party of shaytan who are the losers. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحَادُّونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ أُولَٰئِكَ فِي الْأَذَلِّينَ Those who oppose Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, such people will be among the most abased and defeated. كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَأَغْلِبَنَّ أَنَا وَرُسُلِي إِنَّ اللَّهَ قَوِيٌّ عَزِيزٌ Allah has written on the preserved tablet, or alternatively has decreed, I will be victorious. Meaning both by means of evidence and with the sword, I and my messengers. Allah is most strong, Almighty. لا تجد قوم يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر يوادون من حد الله ورسوله ولو كانوا 
ولو كانوا آباءهم أو أبناءهم أو إخوانهم أو عشيرتهم أولئك كتب في قلوبهم الإيمان وأيدهم بروح منه ويدخلهم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها رضي الله عنهم ورضوعا أولئك حزب الله ألا إن حزب الله هم المفلحون You will not find people who believe in Allah on the last day having love for anyone who follows Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam though they be their fathers, their sons, their brothers or their clan if they oppose Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the believers should oppose them and fight them this happened with a group of companions may Allah be pleased with them Allah has inscribed belief upon such people's hearts and fixed it there and will reinforce them with the ruh meaning light from him and admit them into the gardens from rivers flowing under them to remain in them timelessly forever. Allah is pleased with them for obeying Him and they are pleased with Him, content with the reward that He gives them. Such people are the party of Allah. They follow His command and avoid what He has prohibited. Truly is the party of Allah who is successful. Allah Azza wa in these last verses, as you can see, makes a clear distinction between the party of Allah and the party of Shaytan. People are either of one or two, as Allah Azza wa mentioned elsewhere in the Quran, that there is a party of the fire, a party in paradise. In this last verse, in Surah Al-Mujadir, Allah speaks about this issue which is an important issue uh, to understand correctly. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't prohibit us from loving our non-Muslim relatives, our parents, our family members and others. Rather what is prohibited is that that love makes you turn against your religion or do something which is displeasing or disobeying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we've mentioned elsewhere in the Quran and therefore it is important to understand that in its correct context. It is said that this verse was revealed concerning some of the companions as mentioned here by the author Taala in the battle of Badr. For example, it is said that it refers to Abu Ubaid ibn Jarrah radiyallahu anhu. That on the day of the battle of Badr, his father was in the opposing army and his father would seek him out to fight him. And Abu Ubaidah, when he would see his father approaching, would turn away and go elsewhere because clearly he doesn't want to meet him on the battlefield and his father keeps following and following until eventually they have to come face to face and he has to fight him. That is a narration that is from the Tabi'een. It's not an authentic hadith, nor does it have an authentic narration to the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So Allah knows best. Some of the scholars of history, such as Al-Waqidi, said that Abu Ubaidah's father died before Islam. He died even before Islam. And others said, no, he was alive. And so there is this difference of opinion amongst the scholars of history. Either way, the verse is general, whether it refers to Abu Ubaidah or another companion, or none of them, or any of them, or some of them. It is a general verse concerning this principle, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. 59. Surah Al-Hashr, the gathering. This surah is Medina and has 24 ayats. So this is the 59th surah of the Quran, and it is Surah Al-Hashr, which means to gather, a gathering. And this surah is a Madani surah by Ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir as mentioned by Imam Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala. And from the other names that this surah is commonly known by in the early works of hadith is Surah Al-Nadir or Surah Bani Al-Nadir. As Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma mentioned in his narration of Al-Bukhari. This surah is often known in the books of Tafsir also as Surah Al-Nadir or Banu Al-Nadir. It refers to the tribe of Banu Al-Nadir. And we will speak about this story later because much of the surah refers to them. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سبح لله ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth glorifies Allah I proclaims him free and above all other things 
He is the Almighty, the All-Wise. هو الذي أخرج الذين كفروا من أهل الكتاب من ديارهم لأول الحشر ما ظننتم أن يخرجوا وظنوا أنهم مانعتهم حصونهم من الله فأتاهم الله من حيث لم يحتسبوا وقذف في قلوبهم الرعب يخربون بيوتهم بأيديهم وأيدي المؤمنين فاعتبروا يا أولي الأبصار. It is he who expelled those who disbelieved among the people of the book, meaning here the Jewish clan of the Banu al-Nadir, i.e. from their homes in Medina, to fight the gathering to the first gathering place on the way to Syria. The final step was when Umar رضي الله عنه exiled them from Khaybar when he was Khalifa. You believers did not think that they would leave. And they thought that their fortresses would protect them from the punishment of Allah. Then the command and punishment of Allah came upon them from where they least expected it, meaning from the believers, which, possibly, which possibility had not occurred to them, and cast terror into their hearts by the killing of their leader, Kahab ibn al-Ashraf. Their houses were pulled down by their own hands and by the hands of the believers, people of insight, taken out. So this is the verse that is referring to the story of Banu Nadir. <coughs> and Banu Nadir are one of the Jewish communities and tribes that live in Medina. There is Banu Nadir and Banu Quraidha and Banu Qiqa. Uh, and so these tribes live, or these are tribes that live in Medina, Jewish tribes. Banu Nadir are considered to be the most noble from amongst them, in terms of their lineage and their position amongst the community of Medina. And this is an incident that takes place after the Battle of Uhud. It's said around the third or fourth year of the Hijrah. Whereas the incident of Banu Quraiva would take place after the Battle of Ahzab. That is a separate incident. The incident of Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad radiallahu anhu and Banu Quraiva is completely different. This is the incident of Banu Nadir. The incident of Banu Nadir is that after the Battle of, of Badr, the, some of the leaders of the tribe, such as Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf, as is mentioned by the author, ta'ala, went to Quraysh in order to encourage them to attack the Muslims again, despite the defeat that they suffered on the day of Badr. And the Muslims in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ, and this tribe and the other tribes of Medina that were the Jewish tribes had a pact amongst themselves that they wouldn't harm one another. They wouldn't do anything to undermine one another. So it was a peace treaty amongst them that they would reside with one another not helping each other's enemies against them. So when Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf goes and he does this, then that is a type of treachery. So Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf is executed. Then after the battle of Uhud, the people of Banu Nadir asked the Quraysh to come back and to fight them again. So now that they won on the Battle of Uhud or they have the upper hand on the Battle of Uhud, these people go and they say to them, come back and let us go and fight. And they're told different things uh, to do different things. One of them is that they would assassinate the Prophet ﷺ. Either way, the Prophet ﷺ hears of this by revelation that this is what they want to do. In some narrations, some of them told some of their Muslim relatives and they told the Prophet ﷺ. Either way, they came and the Prophet ﷺ realized what was going on. So he went to them and he said to them, you have broken our treaty, you must now leave Medina. You must take what you can carry and I will exile you from the city of Medina. So they agreed. But they said, give us 10 days to gather our belongings and sort out our affairs and whatever, and then we leave. The Prophet ﷺ said, okay, you have 10 days. In those 10 days, Abdullah ibn Ubay, who is the leader of the hypocrites, comes to them and he says, why are you leaving? The Muslims are weak. They've already been defeated in Uhud. They're already weak and they're already injured and they're already suffering. You don't need to leave. And when the 10 days are up, you fight them. And if you fight them, I will bring you 2,000 men 
to come and fight on your side and then we will call the other tribes around us that are disbelieving tribes they will come and they will help and we will defeat the Muslims once and for all so he's basically pumping them up and so they agree so when the Prophet ﷺ returns after 10 days rather than leaving they have barricaded themselves in their homes and in the area that they live in so the Prophet ﷺ laid siege to them and no one came to their aid not Abdullah ibn Ubay not the 2,000 people that they promised no one no one came to their aid and so the Prophet ﷺ, after laying siege for them in a number of days, the terror that was in their hearts overtook them and they said, we will surrender. As long as you let us leave, we will leave immediately. Don't fight us, don't kill us, and we leave. And so the Prophet ﷺ accepted and they left. And that is why Allah Azza wa in a number of these verses, in the coming verses and also after some of these verses, he will speak about this incident in detail. And that is why I've gone into length of it because much of the surah revolves around the story of Banu Nadir. And that is why it is one of the names of the surah concerning this tribe of people. Allah in verse number 2 says, when you exile them to their first hashar, their first place of gathering. Some of the scholars mean the first time that you gather them together in order to exile them from Medina. Another said, no, it is the place of gathering. Meaning the place of gathering is Sham because that's where they would be eventually exiled to in the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. It is said that that is what the reference is to and Allah Azza wa knows best. The alternate readings here are yukhribuna and yukharribuna which is the reading of Abu Amr and ru'ub and ru'ub with a dhamma. وَلَوْ لَا أَنْ كَتَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْجَنَاءَ لَعَذَّبَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابُ النَّارِ if Allah had not prescribed and decreed banishment for them, He would have punished them in this world by killing and capture as was, as was done to the Jewish clan of Qurayla. But in the next world, they will have the punishment of the fire. And the tribe of Banu Qurayla is a different story. That is concerning the Battle of Hazab. And after the Battle of Hazab, because of their treachery, the Prophet fought them as well. And we mentioned this previously in one of the surahs where we spoke about the Battle of Hazab. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ شَاقُوا اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَمَنْ يُشَاقِ اللَّهَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ That is because they were encrenched in hostility towards Allah and His Messenger If anyone is hostile towards Allah, Allah is severe in retribution مَا قَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ لِينَةٍ أَوْ تَرَقْتُمُوهَا قَائِمَةً عَلَىٰ أُصُولِهَا فَبِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ وَلْيُخْزِيَ الْفَاسِقِينَ Whatever palm trees you Muslims cut down or left standing upright on the roots, it was done by Allah's mission, meaning, and Allah gave you a choice about it, in order to disgrace the deviators, i.e. the Jews, in the face of their objection that cutting down the fruit trees was a corrupt deed. And this is also in reference to the Banu Nadir. Because in the hadith that is of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu in Sahih Bukhari, he says that the Prophet went and burned down the trees of Banu Nadir after they were exiled. Just as he took down their houses and their abodes, he also burned down their trees that they would use. And that was part of the exile that he did. So Allah is saying that what you did, you did by the permission of Allah. It's something which was permissible for you. وَمَا أَفَاءَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ مِنْهُمْ فَمَا أَوْجَفْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ خَيْلٍ وَلَا رِكَابٍ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يُسَلِّطُ رُسُلَهُ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يُسَلِّطُ رُسُلَهُ عَلَىٰ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ Whatever beauty from them Allah has given them to his, whatever beauty from them Allah has given to his messenger, so Allah has given them 
and you Muslims spared on neither horse nor camel in its, in its acquisition. A reference to spoils taken without fighting. But Allah gives power to his messengers over anyone he wills. Allah has power over all things. You, i.e. believers, have no right to such spoils, which are exclusively for the Prophet and the four categories of recipients mentioned in the following ayat. He used to divide them by giving each category one fifth, and the Prophet had the remaining fifth to do what he wished with. He gave it to the Muhajirun and the three of the Ansar because they were poor. ما أفاء الله على رسوله من أهل القرى فلله وللرسول ولذي القربى واليتامى والمساكين وابن السبيل كي لا, كي لا يكون دولة بين الأغنياء منكم وما آتاكم الرسول فخذوه وما نهاكم عنه فانتهوا واتقوا الله إن الله شديد العقاب Whatever booty Allah gives to his messengers from city dwellers such as Sufa, meaning the land of Quraybah and Anadir, Wadi al-Qura and Yambar belongs to Allah and to the Messenger, meaning, and Allah gives whatever instructions he wishes about it, and to near relatives of the Prophet from the Wilhelm Hashim and Banu Qulib, orphans, i.e. children of the Muslims whose fathers have died, the very poor and travellers, meaning Muslims who are unable to continue their journey for financial reasons so that it does not become something which merely circulates between the rich among you. This means that those entitled to it are the Prophet and the four categories, so that each of the four receive one fifth, and the Prophet receive the rest. This is done so that the spoils may not be enjoyed by the rich rather than the poor. Whatever the Messenger gives you, or of beauty, or anything else, you should accept. And whatever he forbid you, you should forego. Be fearful of Allah. Allah is severe in retribution. In these verses, verses 6 and 7 of Surah Al-Hashar, there are again fiqh rulings, and as we mentioned previously in this tafsir, that many of the rulings of fiqh need to be studied in a fiqh setting and with a fiqh manual or manuscript. And so it is not something which we will go into great detail about, but the issue of fay, ma'afa Allah, fay is different to ghanima, which is what Allah, is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in Surah Al Anfal in the first verse of the 10th juz. And the distribution of fi'a and ghanima are the same. That's what the author was saying. What we, what you read there is the same here. The difference in terminology though is ghanima and fi'a. Ghanima is what you take from spoils of war through fighting. And fi'a is what you take of spoils of war without fighting. That is the difference between the two. And so Banu Nadir are fi'a because they didn't fight, they surrendered. And so what the Muslims took from that booty was without fighting. That is the difference between the two. At the end of verse 7 is a principle. When it comes to following and obeying the Prophet ﷺ, the golden principle of following the Prophet ﷺ is what he gives you, you take. And what he forbids you from, you abstain from. And that is the golden rule of ittiba' or following the Prophet it is for the poor of the Muhajirun who are driven from their homes and wealth, desiring the favor and the pleasure of Allah and supporting Allah and His Messenger. Such people are the truly sincere in their faith. Allah in verse 8 and 9 will speak about the virtues of the Muhajirun and the Ansar, and these are two of the most explicit verses speaking about the virtues of these two groups amongst the companions. 
the virtues of the, of the Muhajireen is that they made hijrah and they abandoned their land and they fell for, for, for suk everything that they had their children, their wealth, their belongings, their property and they migrated with nothing for the sake of Allah Azza wa and the virtue of the Ansar is that they welcomed them and they helped them and they assisted them and they sacrificed for them so that they could live in the city of Medina and Allah Azza wa praises both groups of people وَالَّذِينَ تَبَوَّأُوا الدَّارَ وَالْإِيمَانَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَا يَجِدُونَ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ حَاجَةً مِمَّا أُوتُوا وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصَةٌ وَمَنْ يُوقَ شُحَّ نَفْسِهِ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Those who already settled in the abode, meaning Medina, and in belief, meaning the Ansar, before they came, love those who have emigrated to them. And do not find in their hearts any need or envy for what they have been given, i.e., a reference to the prophecy, to the property of the Banu Nadir, which the Prophet gave the Muhajirun, and they prefer them to themselves. Even if they themselves are needy, it is those who are safeguarded from the avarice of their own souls who are, who are successful. And this is therefore the virtue of the Ansar of Medina, that they would sacrifice and they would give to others and they would give them preference over themselves, even in terms of what they needed. And from what is mentioned in that regard is the hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim of Abu Hurairah that a man once came to the Prophet from the poor Muhajireen who was extremely hungry and he said, O Messenger of Allah, my situation is dire. Help me. So the Prophet sent news to his wives, a message to them. Do you have any food that we can share? And all of them replied in the negative. No, O Messenger of Allah, we have nothing. So the Prophet said to the companions who were sitting around him, which one of you will take this man and feed him this night, and Allah will have mercy upon him. So one of the companions amongst the Ansar said, I will, O Messenger of Allah. So he took the man, and he came to his house, and he said to his wife, This is the guest of the Prophet ﷺ, so feed him. She said to her husband, We have nothing today, except the food that I was saving for our young children. That's all we have. So the father, or the man, the husband said to his wife, Put them to sleep. And put them to sleep even though they're hungry and we will give the food to this man but what we will do is when we feed him we will dim the lights meaning the candles that we have we will dim them or we will extinguish them so he will eat in the dark so that he cannot see that we do not eat whilst he eats and that's what they did that night the Prophet said the next day to this man when he asked him what did you do and he told him the story the Prophet said Allah smiled at what you and your wife did meaning that Allah approves of it and that's why in the Quran you find Three different types of spending, three different types of charity, three different levels of charity. The first is that you spend from your wealth, generally. What Allah has given to you, you spend some of it in charity. That's the first level, and it is the least, and it is still extremely rewarding. The second one is that you give what you love of your wealth. So you don't just spend anything and everything, but you give the best of your wealth in sadaqah. And the third is when you spend from what you love and it is harmful to you in a way, meaning that you give preference to someone else, you sacrifice something as well. And that is the third one, and that is what is being mentioned here about these companions amongst Ansar, radiallahu anhum ajma'een. وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِيْخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا بِالْإِيمَانِ وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Those who have come after them, 
meaning after the Muhajirun and Ansar until the day of resurrection, say, Our Lord, forgive us and our brothers who preceded us in belief and do not put and do not put rank off in our hearts towards those who believe. Our Lord, you are all gentle and most merciful. And this is the beautiful dua then that we make. Those who came after them, meaning the Ansar and the Muhajirin, from the other Muslims who will come after them. This is one of the rights that they have upon us, that we make dua for those companions, radiallahu anhum, either by saying radiallahu anhum, which is a dua, or by making dua for them using the dua of the Quran. And this then doesn't only include the Muhajirin and the Ansar, but all of the brothers and sisters of Islam that have preceded us. So it includes the generation above us and above them, from our time all the way back to the Prophet And again, it is an example of one of the, those du'as in the Qur'an that is not only beautiful, but extremely comprehensive in terms of it gathering and uniting all of the millions of Muslims that have passed away before us upon Iman. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ نَافَقُوا يَقُولُونَ لِإِخْوَانِهِمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ يَقُولُونَ لِإِخْوَانِهِمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَئِنْ نُخْرِجْتُمْ لَنَخْرُجَنَّ مَعَكُمْ وَلَا نُطِيعُ فِيكُمْ أَحَدًا أَبَدًا وَإِنْ قُوتِلْتُمْ لَنَنْصُرَنَّكُمْ وَاللَّهُ يَشْهَدُ إِنَّهُمْ لَكَاذِبُونَ Did you not see the hypocrites saying to their brothers, those among the people of the book who disbelieve, meaning the Ben Nadir, and their brothers in unbelief, if you are driven out of Medina, we will leave with you. We will never obey anyone to your detriment and forsake you. And if you are fought against, we will help you. Allah bears witness that they are truly liars. And so this verse 11 and the next few verses that will come speaks again about the story of Banu Nadir. And this is referring now to Abdullah ibn Ubay and the hypocrites who said to Banu Nadir, Stay and we will help you. Stay and we will fight with you. Leave and we will leave with you. Meaning that we are like a single body, united. And Allah Azza wa says that they were liars. لَإِن نُقْرِجُوا لَا يَخْرُجُونَ مَعَهُمْ وَلَإِن قُوتِلُوا لَا يَنْصُرُونَهُمْ وَلَإِن نَصَرُوهُمْ لَيُوَلُّنَّ الْأَدْبَارَ ثُمَّ لَا يُنْصَرُونَ If they are driven out, they will not leave with them. If they are fought against and their help is sought, they will not help them. Even if they did help them, they will turn their backs and they, i.e. the Jews, would not be helped. لَأَنْتُمْ أَشَدُّ رَهْبَةً فِي صُدُورِهِمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ ذَانِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ You are a greater cause of terror in there, meaning the hypocrites, breasts than Allah, because Allah's punishment is deferred. That is because there are people who do not understand. لَا يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ جَمِيعًا إِلَّا فِي قُرًا مُحَصَّنَةٍ أَوْ مِنْ وَرَاءِ جُدُرٍ بَأْسُهُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ شَدِيدٌ تَحْسَبُهُمْ جَمِيعًا وَقُلُوبُهُمْ شَتَّى ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ They, i.e. the Jews, will not fight against you altogether as a group, except in fortified towns or behind fortified high walls. Their hostility and belligerence towards each other is intense. They are full of bravado in each other's company. You consider them united, but their hearts are scattered wide, owing to their dissension. That is because they are people who do not use their intellect. And the alternate reading in verse number 14 is Jidar. Judur is the plural. Jidar is the singular. And that is the reading of Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr. كَمَثَلِ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ قَرِيبًا ذَاقُوا وَبَالَ أَمْرِهِمْ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ They are the same, referring to in respect of abandoning their faith as those a short time before them, i.e. namely the idolaters at the Battle of Badr who tasted the evil consequences of what they did by being killed in other ways. They will also have a painful punishment in the next world. 
كمثل الشيطان إذ قال للإنسان اكفر فلما كفر قال إني بريء منك إني أخاف الله رب العالمين In the listening to the hypocrites and staying behind them they are like shaitan when he says to a human being disbelieve and then when he disbelieves he says I wash my hands of you truly I fear Allah the Lord of all the worlds فَكَانَ عَاقِبَتَهُمَا أَنَّهُمَا فِي النَّارِ خَالِدَيْنِ فِيهَا وَذَلِكَ جَزَاءُ الظَّالِمِينَ The final fate of both of them, meaning the one who errs and the one who makes others err, is that they will be timelessly forever in the fire. And that is the repayment on the wrongdoers, meaning the unbelievers. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse number 17, He says, "Finari khalidaini," instead of khalidina. Khalidin is the plural. Khalidin is for the dual. The dual here being shaitan and those who follow shaitan, and that is what is being referred to. You who believe. Be fearful of Allah, and let each self look to what it has sent forward for tomorrow, i.e. the day of rising. Be fearful of Allah. Allah is aware of what you do. وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ Do not be like those who forgot Allah and abandoned obedience to Allah, so he made them forget to advance good for themselves. Such people are the deviators. لا يستوي أصحاب النار وأصحاب الجنة أصحاب الجنة هم الفائزون. The companions of the fire and the companions of the garden are not the same. It is the companions of the garden who are the victors. لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك الأمثال نضربها للناس لعلهم يتفكرون. If we had sent down this Quran onto a mountain, i.e., and given the mountain consciousness like human beings, you would have seen it tumbled, crushed to pieces from awe of Allah. We make such examples for people so that hopefully they will reflect and then believe. هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم. He is Allah. There is no god but Him, the knower of the unseen and the visible. He is the most merciful, the most merciful. هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون. He is Allah. There is no god but Him, the King, the most pure, of anything not befitting Him, the perfect peace, preserved from any imperfection, the trustworthy, who confirms His messengers by creating miracles for them, the safeguarder. His watcher over and witness of his slaves and their actions, the Almighty, the Compeller, who compels his creation to do whatever he wills, the supremely great, i.e. greater than anything else in existence. Glory be to Allah, to proclaim him transcendent above all the associates with him, above all the associate with him. هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم. He is Allah, the Creator, the Maker, who brings everything into existence from non-existence, 
the giver of all. To him belong the ninety-nine most beautiful names. Everything in the heavens and earth glorifies him. He is the Almighty, your wise. In these, in this final passage and final few verses of Surah Al-Hashr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about his names, Jalla fi Ula. And in the Quran, it is the passage that contains most of the names of Allah Azza wa meaning uh, the greatest number of names together in one in one place. In these three verses at the end of Surah Al-Hashr. There are a number of points here that need to be made. The first of them is some of these names and what they mean. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 23, he says that he is Al-Malik, which is the king. Al-Quddus salam Both of them are similar in meaning and both of them refer to Allah azza wa being free of anything which is deficient or any weakness or anything that isn't befitting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Al-Quddus is the one who is pure, meaning that he is free of this. As-Salam, again, is meaning that he is free of all of this. They are similar in terms of the meaning of those names. Al-Mu'min is the one who bestows faith and he is the one who confirms that faith. Allah Azza wa is the first one who testifies to his oneness subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he is the one who affirms that truthfulness of his oneness when it is conveyed by his messengers alayhimu salatu wassalam. And also from the meanings of al-mu'min is that he gives aman, safety to those who believe in him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-muhaymin is the one who knows the most hidden of affairs. The one who knows the most hidden of affairs. Who is watcher over and witness over everything. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Aziz, the Almighty. Al-Jabbar, this is where the problem is with the uh, commentary of the author, rahimahullah, who compounds his creation to do whatever he wills. And that is not the aqeed of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. Ahl-Sunnah do not say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forces people to do anything. But that is the position of the Qadiriya and others. That Allah Azza wa forces people to do what they, they have no choice, they have no free will. Which goes against the whole concept of Islam. And the whole concept then of Allah Azza wa commanding and prohibiting. And sending messages and revealing divinely revealed books. So Allah Azza wa does not compel. But the meaning of Al-Jabbar is twofold. Number one is that Allah breaks down those who are arrogant. Jabara meaning that he breaks down those who are arrogant. And number two, as for the one who is weak, he helps them. Yajbur al-munkasir. Jabara can have two meanings. One is against the one who is oppressive. Allah puts them, makes them downcast. And as for the one who is weak, Allah Azza wa helps them. Yajburhum. Yajbur means that he makes up for their faults, helps them in terms of their faults and their weaknesses. Al-mutakabbir. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, the supremely great. He is the one jalla fi ula. He is the one who has, is greater than everything. And he therefore is the one, subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has the right to have pride above all of his creation, Jalla fi ula, because of the greatest that he has, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in verse number 24, the meanings of those names are, as the author says, al-khaliq, al-bari, and al-musawwir. But then afterwards he says, he, to him belong the 99 names. And as we mentioned previously, there are more than 99 names. But the hadith says that whoever does or is able to encompass 99 of those names, then that is sufficient for them in terms of reward. 60. Surat al-Muntahana. The woman testing. Surah the surah is Medina and has 13 ayats. This is the 60th surah of the Quran. Surah al-Muntahina. Which is the woman that was tested. And it is a Madani surah. And it is uh, by ijma' of the scholars of tafsir as mentioned by al-Imam al-Qurtubi. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. 
يا ايها الذين امنوا لا تتخذوا عدوي وعدوكم اولياء تلقون اليهم بالموده وقد كفروا وقد كفروا بما جاءكم من الحق يخرجون الرسول واياكم ان تؤمنوا بالله ربكم ان كنتم إن كنتم خرجتم جهادا في سبيلي وبتغاء مرضاتي تسرون إليهم بالمودة وأنا أعلم بما أخفيتم وما أعلنتم ومن يفعله منكم فقد ضل سواء السبيل You who believe, not take my enemy and your enemy, meaning the unbelievers in Mecca, as friends, showing love for them, i.e. maintaining affectionate connections with them. When they have rejected the truth, referring to the deen of Islam and the Qur'an, that has come to you, i.e., this was revealed from the Prophet ﷺ, intended to raid them, and kept that a secret. Hatib bin Abi Balta'a wrote a letter to them, telling them about it, since he had children and family among the adulterers. The Prophet ﷺ sought to bring back the messenger he had sent his letter with, Allah having informed him of the matter. He accepted Hatib's apology, driving out the messenger and yourselves i.e. from Mecca, by making your life difficult for you, simply because you believe in Allah your Lord. If you go out to fight jihad in my way and seek my pleasure, keeping secret the love you have for them, I know best what you conceal and what you make known. Any of you who do that have strayed from the right way, i.e. have left the path of guidance and straightness. In the first verse of this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this verse. And when Allah Azzawajal says, do not take my enemy and your enemy as friends, the word awliya is more than a friend. And often because of the translations that we have, it is difficult then to understand the context of the Qur'an. Awliya is an ally. And someone that you give to them preference and help and support over your religion. Meaning at the detriment of your religion. Allah forbids you from doing something. Or the Prophet forbade you from doing something. And you prefer to take the position of others because of their relationship to you or their friendships. And that is what the meaning of awliya is. It doesn't mean that you cannot have friends that are non-Muslims or love family members who may be non-Muslim or have good relations with your neighbors and your colleagues and your friends. This is a very specific verse and its specification is understood by its cause of revelation. And that is as the author mentions the story of Hatib ibn Abi Balta'a radiallahu anhu. And this is by Ijma' of the scholars that this, is, this verse refers to this incident. And the incident is collected in the Bukhari and Muslim from the hadith of Ali radiallahu anhu. That at the time of the conquest of Mecca, when the Prophet sallallahu informed the companions that they would go to conquer Mecca, he wanted to move very swiftly and quickly so that Quraysh would have no news of the arrival of the Muslims, nor would they be able to prepare. So he forbade the companions of telling anyone, of letting this message leave Medina. It was under the strictest confidence. Because usually when the Prophet would prepare an army, people would know people are gathering, people are getting ready, people are preparing their armor and their horses. People around Medina realize, okay, something major is going on. Now, in the conquest of Mecca, you prepare, but you prepare quietly. Let no one know. A companion by the name of Hatib ibn Abi Balta'a sent a letter to the people of Mecca informing them, or some of them, to, the people of, to some of the people of Mecca informing them. Jibreel alayhi salam came, informed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet said to Ali and Zubair ibn al-Awwam and a third companion by the name of Abu Marthad radiallahu anhum, go and you will find in the path to Mecca an old woman. She has a letter with her from Hatib. Take it from her and bring it back and don't leave without the letter. So they came to her 
And they said to her, you have a letter, we want it. She said, I don't have a letter. So they searched her bags, they searched her property, they couldn't find it. She emptied her pockets, they couldn't find it. They said, the Prophet ﷺ told us that you have a letter. We will search you even if we have to search every part of your body. But we are not leaving without the letter. So when she saw how determined they were, she took it out from one of the braids of her hair and she gave it to them. They came back and they gave it to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ opened it. And he read what Hatib had told the people of Mecca forewarning them of the coming of the Prophet ﷺ and the army of the Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ called Hatib. And Umar said, let me take off his head, O Messenger of Allah. Hatib said, O Messenger of Allah, I didn't do this because I disbelieve or because of any hypocrisy. I know that you will go and you will conquer Mecca because Allah has willed it to be so. But everyone from the Muhajirin of Mecca here, the companions who are from Mecca, have family in, in Mecca. People that will protect their property, protect their wealth. Me, I have no one. So I wanted to give this letter to some of those people so that they would think that they owe me something and they would look after my interests. That's all it was, O Messenger of Allah. Umar said, O Messenger of Allah, let me take off his neck. And this is where we get that famous hadith showing the status of the people of Badr. That the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he's from the people of Badr. And what will make you know that perhaps Allah looked on those people and said, do as you please for I have forgiven you. So the Prophet ﷺ accepted his excuse and he forgave him And that is the reason for this verse. And so therefore you can therefore understand the context of the verse and the meaning then of the friendship or the alliance that is being referred to. If they come upon you and defeat you, they will be your enemies and stretch out their hands against you to kill and strike you and tongues against you with evil intent, abusing and cursing you and they will dearly love you to disbelieve and revert to unbelief. لن تنفعكم أرحامكم ولا أولادكم يوم القيامة يفصل بينكم والله بما تعملون بصير. Neither your bad relations, nor your children, for adulterers, and for whose sake you conceal the news, will be of any avail to you, i.e., or help you against punishment in the next world. On the day of rising, he will differentiate between you and them, as you will be in the garden, and they will be with the rest of the unbelievers in the fire. Allah sees what you do. And in verse number 3, the alternate reading is Yufassiru, which is the reading of Hamza Ali and Khalaf. قَدْ كَانَتْ لَكُمْ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ فِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَالَّذِينَ مَعَهُ إِذْ قَالُوا لِقَوْمِهِمْ إِذْ قَالُوا لِقَوْمِهِمْ إِنَّا بُرَآءُ مِنْكُمْ وَمِمَّا تَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ كَفَرْنَا بِكُمْ كَفَرْنَا بِكُمْ مَبَدَا بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمُ الْعَدَاوَةُ وَالْبَغْضَاءُ أَبَدًا حَتَّى تُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ إِلَّا قَوْلَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ لِأَبِيهِ إِلَّا قَوْلَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ لِأَبِيهِ لَأَسْتَغْفِرَنَّ لَكَ وَمَا أَمْلِكُ لَكَ مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ رَبَّنَا عَلَيْكَ تَوَكَّلْنَا وَإِلَيْكَ أَنَبْنَا وَإِلَيْكَ الْمَصِيرُ You have an excellent example Ibrahim in his words, i.e. in his words and deeds, and those believers with him when they said to their people, We wash our hands of you and all that you worship apart from Allah, and we reject you. Between us and you, there will be enmity and hatred forever, unless and until you believe in Allah alone, except for Ibrahim's words to his father, I will, forgive, I will ask forgiveness for you, i.e. which is an exception where the excellent example is concerned, meaning that you should not imitate him in that by asking for forgiveness, in that by asking forgiveness for unbelievers. 
but I have no power to help you in any way against Allah with respect to his punishment and his reward. All I can do, all I can do is ask for forgiveness. Ask forgiveness. He asked forgiveness for him before it was clear to him that he was the enemy of Allah. As he mentioned in Surah Tawbah, Our Lord, we have put our trust in you and have repented to you. You are a final destination. These are the words of Ibrahim And in verse number 4, the alternate reading is Iswa. Uswa is the reading of Asim. Everyone else reads it as Iswa. رَبَّنَا لَا تَجْعَلْنَا فِتْنَةً لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَاغْفِرْ لَنَا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Our Lord, do not make us a target for those who disbelieve and forgive us. Do not let them defeat us so that they think that they have the truth and are in the right. Our Lord, you are the Almighty, you are wise in your kingdom and in what you do. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِيهِمْ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرِ وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْغَنِيُّ الْحَمِيدُ There is an excellent example in them for you, community of Muhammad وسلم, to follow. For those whose hope is in Allah on the last day, i.e. who fear Allah on the last day, and think that there will be reward and punishment. But if anyone turns away and takes the unbelievers as friends, Allah is rich beyond need of his creation, the praiseworthy, praised by those who obey him. عسى الله أن يجعل بينكم وبين الذين عاديتم منهم مودة والله قدير والله غفور رحيم. It may well be that Allah will restore the love between you and those of them who are now your enemies, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, and bring them to obedience to Allah Almighty by guiding them to faith, and so they may become your friends again. Allah is all powerful and has the power to do that, and indeed did so after the conquest of Mecca. Allah is ever forgiving of what happened in the past, most merciful. And in verse 7, therefore, is a clear indication of the importance of making dua for guidance for people that you love from the non-Muslims and from the disbelievers. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, perhaps Allah azza wa will bring that friendship between you through the bonds of religion. And how many of those early Muslims of Quraysh who were ardent enemies of Islam and the Prophet وسلم, and spent many years torturing and oppressing and persecuting the Muslims, did Allah then bestow guidance upon them? The likes of Khalid ibn Walid and the likes of Abu Sufyan and Iqlim and the son of Abu Jahl and many others besides them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favored them with guidance. لا ينهاكم الله عن الذين لم يقاتلوكم في الدين ولم يخرجوكم من دياركم أن تبروهم وتقسطوا إليهم إن الله يحب المقسطين. Allah does not forbid you from being good to those unbelievers who have not fought you in the deen or driven you from your homes or from being just towards them. This was before the command to fight them in jihad. Allah loves those who are just. And in verse number 8 is one of the clearest verses of the Quran showing the rights of non-Muslims from your friends and from your colleagues and from those people that are around you and that they have rights and that you should respect them and that you should show good conduct towards them because Allah does not forbid that from you so long as they don't oppress you and harm you because any oppression is not accepted in any way or form in any religion or in any law despite that or besides that they have their rights and they have their position and that should be respected and the comment of the author that this was before the command came to fight them as we mentioned before he often says that concerning these verses and that is not the position of the majority of the scholars in tafsir that these are not verses that are abrogated but rather they are verses that are still applicable and there are certain circumstances where different verses are required and applied 
انما ينهاكم الله عن الذين قاتلوكم في الدين واخرجوكم من دياركم وظاهروا على اخراجكم ان تولوهم ومن يتولهم فاولئك هم الظالمون الله بني فديدي from taking as friends meaning helpers and protectors those who have fought you over the deen and have driven you and driven you from your homes and supported your expulsion any who take them as friends are wrongdoers يا ايها الذين امنوا اذا جاءكم المؤمنات مهاجرات فامتحنوهن الله اعلم بايمانهن فان علمتموهن مؤمنات فلا ترجعوهن الى الكفار لا هن حل لهم ولا هم يحلون لهم واتوهم ما انفقوا ولا جناح عليكم ان تنكحوهن اذا اتيتموهن اجورهم ولا تمسكوا بعصم الكوافر واسالوا ما انفقتم وليسالوا ما انفقوا ذلكم حكم الله يحكم بينكم والله عليم حكيم you who believe and women who believe i profess faith on their tongues come to you as immigrants meaning from the unbelievers after the treaty made with them at El Hudaybiyah which stated that if any believers came to them they would be returned submit them to a test meaning asking them to take an oath that they have only immigrated to Islam not out of hatred for their adulterous husbands or out of passion for Muslim men therefore the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam made them swear an oath Allah has best knowledge of their belief if you know they are believers i.e. from their oath from their oaths do not return them to the unbelievers they are not lawful for the unbelievers No, are the unbelievers lost for them? Give the unbelievers, meaning here their husbands, whatever dowry they pay them. There is nothing wrong in your marrying them, provided you pay them in their due. You pay them their due, i.e., dowry. Do not hold on to any marriage ties with women who disbelieve. You are becoming Muslim, and all your marriage to unbelieving women or those who stay with the idolaters have been reverted to unbelief since their apostasy severs the ties of marriage. Ask what you have, what you paid them from the unbelievers whom they marry. and let them ask what they paid for the diaries of the women immigrants that is Allah's judgment Allah will judge between them Allah is all knowing or wise in verse number 10 the alternate reading of wala tumsiku is wala tumasiku which is the reading of Abu Amr and Yaqub and this verse speaks about the issue of one spouse being a muslim and the other one being a non-muslim and this is a famous issue in the books of fiqh and there is much detail concerning that which this is not the place for وَإِن فَاتَكُمْ شَيْءٌ مِنْ أَزْوَاجِكُمْ إِلَى الْكُفَّارِ فَعَاقَبْتُمْ فَآتُوا الَّذِينَ ذَهَبَتْ أَزْوَاجُهُمْ مِثْلَ مَا أَنْفَقُوا وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي أَنْتُمْ بِهِ مُؤْمِنُونَ If any of your wives rejoin the unbelievers, i.e. so that you lose their dowries, you should have compensation. When you raid and take booty, pay them back from the booty the same as they paid. So repay to those whose wives have gone the dowry they paid out. Be fearful of Allah. him in whom you believe the believers gave what they were commanded to give to the unbelievers and believers then this ruling was removed ya ayyuhan nabiyyu idha jaaka almu'minatu yubayyi'naka ala an la yushrikna billahi shay'an wa la yasriqna wa la yaznina wa la yaqtulna awladahum ولا يقتلن اولادهن ولا ياتين ببهتان يفترينه بين ايديهن وارجلهن ولا يعصينك في معروف ولا يعصينك في معروف فبايعهن واستغفر لهن الله ان الله غفور رحيم او prophets sallallahu alayhi wasallam 
When women who believe come to you, pledging allegiance to you, on the basis that they will not associate anything with Allah, steal, fornicate, kill their children, i.e. as was done in the time of Jahiliyyah, bearing them alive out of fear and shame and poverty, out of fear of shame and poverty, or give a false description of paternity, meaning ascribing a child to a husband when it is not his, making up lies about their bodies, i.e. Arabic literally means forging between their hands and their feet, because when the child is born, it is born between the hands and feet, or disobey you in respect of anything right, meaning anything that is in accord with the obedience to Allah, such as refraining from wailing, rending the clothes, cutting off the hair, ripping the shirts, and scratching the face, then accept their pledge and ask forgiveness for them. The Prophet accepted their allegiance in words and did not shake hands with any of them. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. And what is mentioned at the end of this verse, verse 12, is a statement the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. That when the Prophet would take the pledge of allegiance from women, he would never shake their hands or touch their hands, but rather he would say, I have taken your pledge verbally. Whereas for a man, he would shake his hand or place his hand upon his hand or the other way around, meaning that he would touch hands. But the Prophet with women would not do so. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tatawallaw qawman ghadib allahu alayhim qad ya'isu minal akhirati kama ya'isa al-kuffaru min ashab al-qubur You who believe, do not make friends of people with whom Allah is angry, meaning the Jews, who have despaired of reward in the next world, i.e. although they are certain about it, because of their stubborn opposition to the Prophet Even though they knew that he was telling the truth, as the unbelievers have despaired of the inhabitants of the graves. In the same way, the unbelievers who are in their graves despair having good in the next world, when they are shown the places that they would have had in paradise if they had believed, and they are also shown where they will go in hell. In this final verse of Surah Al-Mutahin, Allah speaks about the disbelievers and says, there are people who despair from the hereafter, just as the disbelievers despair from the people of the grave. There are two meanings to that. The first is that just as you despair from being able to speak to someone who is dead, that they will come back to life. That is how the disbelievers have despaired from the, next, the life of the next life. Meaning that just as this one is impossible, that is how impossible it is for them to have hope in the, in the life of the next world. And the second meaning that is chosen by Imam al-Tabari is that it refers to the next world. That when they will see the punishment on that day of judgment, then they will know that there is no good for them. They will despair. They will know that there is nothing in store for them except what is evil and what is harmful, and Allah knows best. Yeah. 61. Surah Al-Saf, the ranks. This surah is Medinan and has 14 ayats. This is the 61st surah of the Qur'an. Surah Al-Saf, which uh, literally means rows and, or ranks. And it is a Medinan surah as mentioned by the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, including Imam Al-Qurtubi. From the names of this surah that it is known by, is Surah Al-Hawariyin. And that is mentioned in some of the early works of Tafsir because Allah Azzawajal at the very end of the, of the Surah will speak about the Hawariyin, the Hawariyin meaning the disciples of Isa, alayhi salatu wassalam. And so that is one of the names that this story, of the Surah rather, is known by. And what is collected in, in, the, in the narration of Imam At-Tirmidhi, in the narration of Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu anhu, the famous companion, he said that we were sitting together and with a number of people with some of his students. And they said to him, why don't you mention to us something that you learned from the Prophet ﷺ that will benefit us. So Abdullah ibn Salam recited for them this surah, Surah Al-Saf. 
because of the different elements that it contains and the different lessons and etiquettes and principles that it contains despite its brevity for it is only 14 ayahs and then the student of Ibn Abdullah the tabi'i who heard that related the same story or the same incident to his students and he recited the whole surah to them and then the next generation did the same reciting the whole surah until our time meaning that there is a chain of narration that you can take back from our time all the way to Abdullah to the Prophet for this surah and we don't need a chain narration clearly because it's in the Quran but this is for those people who are interested in hadith and Islam what is known as al-musalsal Musalsal means that there are certain chains of narration that still go back from certain people to the Prophet ﷺ. From them is what the scholars of hadith often do when they first teach hadith and narrate a book of hadith is they begin with the hadith of rahmah, the hadith of mercy that is well known amongst them and they narrate it from themselves going back all the way to the Prophet ﷺ. And that is known as al-musalsalat al-awwaliyya. Musalsalat al-awwaliyya is, it is the first hadith that I heard from my teacher. And this is the first hadith that he heard from my teacher. And the, and the first hadith being the hadith of Rahmah. Those who are merciful, Allah is merciful towards them. So show mercy to those upon the earth. And Allah will show mercy upon you, uh, to, to, to you as well. That is a hadith. If anyone studies hadith, you often take these asanid. From those asanid is this one. And it is the strongest of them in terms of the, of, of the chain of narrators. The strongest of them, meaning in the chain of narrators from a Tirmidhi back to the Prophet because others amongst them have some weakness in them. This is the strongest as mentioned by Al-Dhahabi and Ibn Hajar and others, alayhima rahmatullah. So from today, there are many people who have a Sanad going back for this Surah in this way. That this was the first Surah that I will read to you, meaning if you want a comprehensive Surah, you recite it. And I had this from my teacher, and, my, and they recite the Surah. And inshallah, if we ever do a Hadith sitting, I will mention that in more detail. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Sabbahanillahi ma fi al-samawati wa ma fi al-ardi wa huwa al-aziz al-hakim. Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth glorifies Allah, proclaims His purity and transcendence of created things. He is the Almighty in His kingdom, the All-Wise in what He does. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu lima taqooloon ma la ta'lamoon ma la taf'aloon. You believe. Why do you say what you do not do? When you were asked to form jihad, this was after the Muslims' defeat in the Battle of Uhud. Kabura maqatan indallahi an taqulu ma la taf'aloon. It is deeply, it is deeply abhorrent to Allah that you should, that you should say what you do not do. Inna Allah yuhibbu al-lazina yuqatiluna fi sameelihi saffan ka'annahum bunyanun marsus. Allah loves helps. Allah loves helps and honors those who fight in His way in ranks close to one another, like well-built walls, i.e., making them solid and firm. Remember, when Musa said to his people, My people, why do you mistreat me when you know that I am the messenger of Allah to you? They said that his testicles were swollen, which was not true, and they disbelieved him. He reminded them that any messenger of Allah is entitled to respect. So when they deviated from the truth by abusing him, Allah made their hearts deviate away from guidance, as had been decreed from before time. Allah does not guide people who are deviators, meaning 
those whom Allah knew to be unbelievers. وَإِذْ قَالَ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمَ يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيَّ مِنَ التَّوْرَاةِ وَمُبَشِّرًا وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولٍ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ اسْمُهُ أَحْمَدَ فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ قَالُوا هَذَا سِحْرٌ مُبِينٌ when Isa said, Tribe of Israel, I am the messenger of Allah to you, confirming the Torah which came before me and giving you the good news of a messenger after me whose name shall be Ahmed. Allah says, When he, if Ahmed, i.e. Ahmed, brought them, meaning the unbelievers, the clear signs, they said, This, i.e., which you have bought, is downright magic. Who could do greater wrong than someone who invents a lie against Allah, i.e., ascribes a partner or a child to Allah? and describes his signs as magic. When he has been called to Islam, no one could. Allah does not guide wrongdoing people, meaning unbelievers. And that is a, uh, what the translator has done. There is merged two verses. Verses 6 and verse 7 have been merged together. And so verse 6 ends at When he brought them the clear sign, they said, this is downright magic. Then verse, from who could do greater wrong than there is verse number 7, which we have yet to read. In verse number 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in this verse concerning what Isa alayhi salam prophesied, the coming of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he named him as Ahmad, and not Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that is because the Prophet has a number of names. As is mentioned in the hadith of Jubayr ibn Mut'im, radiyallahu anhu sahih al-Bukhari, the Prophet said, I have a number of names. I am Muhammad, and I am Ahmad. And I am Al-Mahi. Al-Mahi means the one who will extinguish disbelief. And I am Al-Hashir, that the people will be resurrected around me, meaning that I will be their leader on the Day of Judgment. Al-Aqib, And I am the last, meaning the last of the Prophet So the Prophet is known by a number of names. And from them, those names is that he was known as Ahmad wasallam. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ افْتَرَى عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبَ وَهُوَ يُدْعَى إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ Who could do greater wrong than someone who invents a lie against Allah, i.e. ascribes a partner or a child to Allah and describes his signs as magic? When he has been called to Islam, no one could. Allah does not guide wrongdoing people, meaning unbelievers. يُرِيدُونَ لِيُطْفِئُوا نُورَ اللَّهِ بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ اللَّهُ مُتِمُّ نُورِهِ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْكَافِرُونَ They desire to extinguish, to extinguish Allah's light, i.e. the law and proofs of Allah, with their mouths, meaning by saying it is magic, poetry, and soothsaying. But Allah will perfect his light and make it manifest through the unbelievers who hate it. In verse, number, in verse number 8, the alternate reading, the first reading is Mutimunurihi, which is the one that we read. And the other one is Mutimun Nurahu, which is the reading of Nafi' and Abu Amr amongst others. It is he who sent his messenger to with guidance and the deen of truth to exalt it over every other deen, i.e. opposed to it, though the idolaters hate it. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا هَلْ أَدُلُّكُمْ عَلَى تِجَارَةٍ تُنْجِيكُمْ مِنْ عَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ You who believe, shall I direct you to a transaction 
which will save you from painful punishments. And in verse number 10, the alternate reading is Tunajikum. Tunajikum, which is the reading of Ibn Amir. تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَتُجَاهِدُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ بِأَمْوَالِكُمْ وَأَنفُسِكُمْ ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ It is to continue to believe in Allah and His Messenger and to do jihad in the way of Allah with your wealth and yourselves. That is better for you if you only knew and so you should do it. يَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَيُدْخِلْكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ وَمَسَاكِنَ طَيِّمَةً فِي جَنَّاتِ عَدْنٍ ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ If you do so, he will forgive you your wrong actions and admit you into, the, into gardens with rivers flowing under them and find dwellings in the gardens of Eden. That is a great victory. وَأُخْرَى تُحِبُّونَهَا نَصْرٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَفَتْحٌ قَرِيبٌ وَبَشِّرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And he will give you other blessings and other things you love. Support from Allah and imminent victory. Give good news to the believers, i.e. your victory and conquest. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُونُوا أَنصَارَ اللَّهِ كَمَا قَالَ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمَ لِلْحَوَارِيِّينَ مَنْ أَنصَارِي إِلَى اللَّهِ قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله فآمنت طائفة من بني إسرائيل وكفرت طائفة فأيدنا الذين آمنوا على عدوهم فأصبحوا ظاهرين. You who believe be helpless of the deen of Allah as the, as the disciples were as Isa السلام, son of Maryam said to the disciples who will be my helpers for Allah? Who will be among the helpers who will go with me to help Allah? The disciples said, We will be the helpers of Allah. The disciples were the sincere friends of Isa and they were the first to believe in him. They were twelve men. The word Hawari, i.e. disciple, comes from, comes from Hawar, which means pure white. It is said that they were followers who dyed garments white. One faction of the tribe of Israel believed in Isa and declared that he was the slave of Allah and had been taken up to heaven, and the other disbelieved by saying that he was the son of Allah, who had raised them up. The two groups fought, so he supported those who believed against their enemy, i.e. the group who had disbelieved, and they became victorious. And in verse number 14, the alternate reading of, of Ansar Allah is Ansaran Lillah, Ansaran Lillah, which is the reading of Nafi' and Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr, amongst others. 62. Surat al-Jum'ah, the Friday prayer. This surah is beginning and has 11 ayats. So this is the 62nd surah of the Qur'an and it is surah al-Jumu'ah or Jumu'ah. Both are correct pronunciations. And it is the uh, a surah also which is a Madani surah as mentioned by Imam Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala and he says that that is by consensus of the scholars of tafsir. And this is a surah that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would often recite in the Jumu'ah prayer. So what we often recite in the Jumu'ah prayer is surah al-A'la and Ghashiyah and that is also authentically reported. But one of the surahs that he would also recite in the Jum'ah Salah, which is slightly longer than those other two of them, is Jum'ah, Surah Al-Jum'ah in the first raka'ah, and Surah Munafiqun in the second surah, in the second raka'ah, and that is the next surah that will come after this one. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. يُسَبِّحُنِ اللَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ الْمَلِكِ الْقُدُّوسِ الْعَزِيزِ الْحَكِيمِ Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth glorifies Allah, the King, the All-Pure, i.e. transcending all that is not appropriate to Him. 
the Almighty, the All-Wise, with His Kingdom and everything He does. It is he who raised up among the unlettered people, meaning the Arabs, who for the, first, who, who for the most part did not read or write, a messenger, Muhammad, وسلم, from them to recite his signs, i.e. the Qur'an, to them purify them of shirk and teach them the book, meaning the Qur'an, and wisdom, i.e. the rulings in it, even though before that they were clearly misguided. وآخرين منهم لما يلحقوا بهم وهو العزيز الحكيم. And others of them, meaning others who will join them after them in precedence and excellence, who have not yet joined them. He is the Almighty, the All Wise. He is mighty and wise in his kingdom and work. This is a reference to the Tabi'un, i.e., the generation after the companions. Singling them out for mention is enough to show clearly the excellence of the companions among whom the Prophet was sent. It puts them above all others to whom he has been sent and who have believed in him, among all of human beings and jinn until the day of rising. For each generation is better than the one after it. And in these opening verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only mentions therefore the virtue of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentions the virtue of the companions and he mentions the virtues of those who will come after the companions, primarily being the tabi'een and the students of the tabi'een. And those three first generations of Muslims have their position in our religion as we know. The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, خَيْرُ النَّاسِ قَرْنِي ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ The best of people are my generation and those who come after them and those who then come after them. And from them is the hadith of Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu al-Bukhari that the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that if there were going to be a group of believers and then he pointed towards Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anhu, they would be from his people, meaning those who come afterwards. And so the Prophet shows that there will be people who will come from various parts of the world that will be, will be people of Islam. And from them is the hadith of the Prophet that he said that indeed from the descendants of the descendants of the descendants of my companions will be people who believe they will enter into Jannah without any punishment or any accounting. And so Allah and the Prophet in numerous ahadith speak about the virtues of those early generations, which is why much of our religion is based upon their understanding in terms of tafsir and hadith and fiqh and other aspects of our religion because they were closer to the time period of revelation and because they were people who, due to their virtue that Allah placed upon them, studied with those people who were either witnesses to revelation or were the students of those people who were witnesses to revelation and were the companions of the Prophet that is Allah's favor, which He gives to whosoever He wills, i.e., meaning prophets or those mentioned together with them. Allah's favor is indeed immense. And as we mentioned yesterday in the hadith concerning those people who will come after the time of the companions and their virtue as well, that is the beauty of our religion. Allah favored the companions and He gave them a level that no one after them can reach. And Allah favored their students as well in terms of their proximity to that generation. But that doesn't mean that the people after them are, have no hope or there is no place for them. As we mentioned the hadith yesterday concerning who are the most amazing believers. Are they the angels? Are they the prophets? Are they the companions? The Prophet said, there are those people who will come after me, who never saw me and yet they still believe and follow me. And that is from the virtue of those people who can stay upon that path of those early blessed generations. 
مثل الذين حملوا التوراة ثم لم يحملوها كمثل الحمار يحمل أسفارا بئس مثل القوم الذين كذبوا بآيات الله والله لا يهدي القوم الظالمين The likeness of those who charged with the Torah meaning those who obliged to act by it but then have not held it i.e. they are not acted by it particularly regarding the description it contains of the Prophet وسلم, by not believing in him is that of a donkey loaded with weighty tones i.e. because they are simply a burden to it and do not benefit it and do not benefit in any way how evil is the likeness of those who deny Allah's signs which confirm the Prophet they are singled out for criticism Allah does not guide wrongdoing people meaning unbelievers in verse number 5, Allah Azza wa Jal, as we mentioned in the Quran, numerous verses in which Allah speaks about the virtues of the people of knowledge and the people who have knowledge. In two verses, some of the scholars said, and some of the worst examples also that are given in the Quran are also concerning the people of knowledge. The first of them is one that we covered in Surah Al-A'raf, people who are given knowledge and they discard knowledge. They ignore that knowledge. They turn away from knowledge coming to them. They're given the opportunity to study and they turn away. They give the opportunity to receive guidance and they choose not to study that guidance. And Allah Azza wa compares them to the dog. Is the example of the dog that continuously pants. Whether you chase it or you leave it alone, it will pant. And the second example is this one. The example of people who have knowledge, have learned the knowledge, but they don't act according to it. They are like the donkey that carries scrolls, meaning the donkey doesn't benefit from the books on its back. Likewise, these people don't benefit from the knowledge that they have within them, which shows the importance of one of the main, and, and it shows one of the main functions of knowledge, and that is to apply it into action. قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ هَادُوا إِنْ زَعَمْتُمْ أَنَّكُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ لِلَّهِ مِنْ دُونِ النَّاسِ فَتَمَنَّوُ الْمَوْتَ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Say, you Jews, if you claim to be the friends of Allah to the exclusion of all other people, then wish for death if you are telling the truth. وَلَا يَتَمَنَّوْنَهُ أَبَدًا بِمَا قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِالظَّالِمِينَ but they, will never wish, but they will never ever wish for it because of what they have done meaning their rejection of the Prophet وسلم, Allah knows the wrongdoers i.e. the unbelievers قُلْ إِنَّ الْمَوْتَ الَّذِي تَفِرُّونَ مِنْهُ فَإِنَّهُ مُلَاقِيكُمْ ثُمَّ تُرَدُّونَ إِلَىٰ عَالِمِ الْغَيْبِ وَالشَّهَادَةِ فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Say, death from which you are fleeing will certainly catch up with you. Then you will be returned to the knower of the unseen and the visible. And he will inform you about what you did, i.e. and repay you for it. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا نُوذِيَ لِلصَّلَاةِ مِنْ يَوْمِ الْجُمُعَةِ فَسْعَوْا إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَذَرُوا الْبَيْعِ ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ You who believe, when you are called to the prayer on the day of Jumu'ah, hasten to the remembrance of Allah, meaning the prayer, and abandon trade, i.e. stop all business transactions. That is better for you if you only knew, i.e. so do it. And we know from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ the importance of this Salah and how it is the most important prayer of the week, more so than any other prayer in the week. The Jum'ah prayer has a special place and its position and its rulings and its etiquette that are mentioned in the books of Fiqh. The day of Jumu'ah or the word Jumu'ah and we know that the day of Jumu'ah on Friday is a blessed day, it is the Eid of the week. 
And the Prophet ﷺ told us that this ummah has been guided to it. It is the best of days. And just as even though the other nations came before us, but they chose as their weekly celebrations days after us, then likewise they will be after us and behind us on the day of judgment. The word Jumu'ah, it is said, comes from gathering. Either because it is the day of that the people gather in every week, or it is because the day that Allah finished gathering all of his creation, meaning that he finished creating them. As we know, the Prophet said that Allah on this day created Adam salam. So he finished from the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything, and Allah created Adam on the day of Friday. And it will be the day that Allah will establish the day of judgment. فَإِذَا قُضِيَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فَانْتَشِرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَابْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَاذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ Then, when the prayer is finished, spread through the earth, i.e. this command is in fact a dispensation, and seek Allah's bounty, meaning provision. And remember Allah much so that perhaps you may be successful. The Prophet This, continuing now, the Prophet onwards, is the commentary for the next verse. It is for the commentary and the cause of revelation for the final verse, verse number 11. وَإِذَا رَأَوْ تِجَارَةً أَوْ لَهْوًا فَضُّوا إِلَيْهَا وَتَرَكُوكَ قَائِمًا قُلْ مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ مِنَ اللَّهْوِ وَمِنَ التِّجَارَةِ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الرَّازِقِينَ But when they see a chance of trade... So, so the Prophet The Prophet was given khutbah one Friday when a caravan arrived and drums were beaten to announce it, as was the custom. The people left the mosque and went out to the caravan, except for twelve men, and this was revealed. But when they see a chance of trade or entertainment, they scatter off to it, i.e. trade, because that is what they were seeking, not entertainment. And leave you standing there giving khutbah, say, what, i.e. reward, is with Allah is better for those who believe than trade or entertainment. Allah is the best of providers. Providers is in the plural because it is said a man provides for his dependents from Allah's provision. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this verse here and the cause of revelation is as the author mentions and that is an authentic hadith, the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu in al-Bukhari and Muslim that on one occasion the Prophet was giving the khutbah and when they heard that the caravan was coming with their trade many of them left the masjid and this is clearly at the beginning of this, uh, this obligation of Jumu'ah because after that we know that the Prophet forbade the companions from even speaking during the khutbah or that they should fidget with something like with stones or with pebbles or something else and that is because of the strict nature concerning this amazing act of worship which is the Friday prayer the Salatul Jumu'ah 63 So this is the 63rd surah of the Quran the surah named after the hypocrites Al-Munafiqoon and it is a Madani surah by Ijma'a of the scholars and this is the other surah that the Prophet would sometimes recite in the Jumu'ah prayer the first raka'ah, Surah Al-Jumu'ah. The second raka'ah, this surah, Surah Al-Munafiqoon. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Iza jaaaka al-munafiqoon qalu nashhadu innaka larasoolullah. Wallahu ya'lamu innaka larasooluhu. Wallahu yashhadu inna al-munafiqina nakathibun. When the hypocrites come to you, they say with their tongues, what is not in their hearts? We bear witness that you are indeed the Messenger of Allah Allah knows that you are indeed His Messenger and Allah bears witness that the hypocrites are certainly liars meaning that they conceal the opposite of what they say And as we've discussed numerous times now in the Quran in the Book of Allah that one of the common themes that we find in the Quran is the mention of the hypocrites 
and their details and their stories and their attributes and their actions and their plotting and planning. And that is because of the harm that they cause and the evil that they have within them. That they openly profess Islam but hiddenly or within, deep within, they are enemies of this religion and the people of this religion. And so therefore Allah Azza speaks about them in great detail in numerous places in the Quran. And it begins from the very beginning of the Quran as we mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah and it has continued as you can see now until the very end of the Quran in this Surah that is dedicated to them or about them. اتخذوا ايمانهم جنه فصدوا عن سبيل الله انهم ساء ما كانوا يعملون they have made their oaths to a cloak to protect the property and lives and barred the way of Allah to prevent people from doing jihad against them what they have done is truly evil ذلك بانهم امنوا ثم كفروا فطبع على قلوبهم فهم لا يفقهون that evil doing is because they have believed with their tongues and then returned to unbelief in their hearts by persisting in their rejection of them. So their hearts have been sealed up with unbelief and they cannot understand faith. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجَسَامُهُمْ وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشُبٌ مُسَنَّدَةٌ يَحْسَبُونَ كُلَّ صَيْحَةٍ عَلَيْهِمْ هُمُ الْعَدُوُّ فَاحْذَرْهُمْ قَاتَلَهُمُ اللَّهُ أَنَّا يُؤْفَكُونَ When you see them, their beautiful outward form appeals to you. And if they speak to you, listen to what they say because of their eloquent speech. But they are like propped up planks of wood against the wall in their lack of understanding. We imagine every cry to be against them, i.e. like a call in a military camp or announcement of a lost camel. Their hearts are filled with terror because they think that it will be revealed that to shed their blood is lawful. They are the enemy, so beware of them, i.e. because they may divulge your secrets to the enemy. Allah fight them, may Allah destroy them, how they are perverted. How can they turn away from faith after the proof has been established? In verse number 4, the alternate reading of Khushub is Khushb, with the Sukun and the Sheen, which is the reading of Qunbul and Al-Kisai and Abu Amr. In verse number 4 also, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Qatalahumullah, which the translator has translated as Allah fight them, the meaning of Qatalahumullah is may Allah punish them and destroy them, as the author Allah mentions in his commentary. And that is what the translation should be. Allah fight them uh, doesn't give the correct meaning of the verse. Qatalahumullah, may Allah punish them, may Allah destroy them. That is the meaning. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ تَعَالَوْا يَسْتَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ لَوَّوْ رُؤُوسَهُمْ وَرَأَيْتَهُمْ يَصُدُّونَ وَهُمْ مُسْتَكْمِرُونَ When they are told, come and apologize, and the Messenger of Allah وسلم, will ask forgiveness for you, they turn their heads in aversion to that, and you see them turn away in haughty arrogance. And the alternate reading in verse 5 is لَوَوْ لَوَوْ is the one that the majority read in لَوَوْ which is the reading of نَافِق سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ أَسْتَغْفَرْتَ لَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تَسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ لَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الْفَاسِقِينَ In their case, it makes no difference whether you ask forgiveness for them or do not ask forgiveness for them. Allah will never forgive them. Allah does, Allah does not guide the evil people. Verse 6 is similar to a verse that is mentioned in Surah Al-Tawbah. And it seems that the one in Surah Al-Tawbah was revealed after this one. In this one, Allah Azza says, it is the same. You seek forgiveness for them. You don't seek forgiveness for them. Allah will never forgive them. In Surah Al-Tawbah is the addition, seek forgiveness for them. Or do not seek forgiveness for them. Or even if you do so 70 times, Allah will not forgive them. 
And so it seems that that was a later verse, and that is to show even more how distant they are from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. هم الذين يقولون لا تنفقوا على من عند رسول الله حتى ينفضوا ولله خزائن السماوات والأرض ولكن المنافقين لا يفقهون. They are the people who say to their companions among the Ansar, do not spend on those muhajirun or with the messenger of Allah وسلم, so that they may go away and leave him. The treasuries of the heavens and earth belong to Allah. Meaning, and so he is the one who provides for the Muhajirun and for everyone else. But the hypocrites do not understand this. يَقُولُونَ لَئِنْ رَجَعْنَا إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ لَيُخْرِجَنَّ الْأَعِزُّ مِنْهَا الْأَذَلِ وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَكِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ They say, if we return to Medina after the expedition to the Banu Musaliq, the mightier, i.e. meaning they themselves will drive out the inferior, meaning the believers. But all might, meaning victory, belongs to Allah and to His Messenger, وسلم, and the believers. Though the hypocrites do not know this. Verses 7 and 8, there is a cause of revelation for this. And the scholars differ as to which uh, battle, after which battle this was revealed. But the narration that is in Al-Bukhari of Zid ibn Arqam is that it was after the Battle of Tabuk, and the author mentions it as it being the Battle of Banu Mustaliq. Either way, the narration al-Bukhari, which is after the Battle of Tabuk, he says that as we were returning from it, then some of the hypocrites that were in the army, such as Abdullah ibn Ubay and others, began to make fun of the Muslims and ridicule them, and say concerning them evil things, Zayd ibn Arqam and the Prophet as well. And they, one of the things that they said is that these people are weak, and they, are, they have nothing. So when we go back, what we will do is the strong form amongst us, meaning us, the hypocrites, will take out the weak. In some narrations it is said that the reason why this happened is because there was a dispute amongst some of the companions. And so the companions, some of them started to call back to their helpers before Islam, the days of Jahiliyyah. And the other companions started to do the same. So Abdullah ibn Ubay is on one side and he says to his followers, then when we go to Medina, we'll expel these people. They are weak. As Zayd ibn Arqam heard this. So he came and told his uncle, who told the Prophet So the Prophet called Zayd and he called Abdullah ibn Ubay and his companions. And he said to Abdullah ibn Ubay, did you say this? He took an oath by Allah. I never said that. So Zayd ibn Arqam was told, okay, he's taken an oath, go. So when they arrived in Medina, Zayd ibn Arqam says, it's as if my people, meaning my tribe, looked at me as if I was the one who was lying. And I wasn't lying. So I stayed at home and I was upset that people will think of me as being untruthful in my speech. Until Allah Azza wa revealed these verses, the Prophet called for me and he said, Allah has told us in the Quran of your truthfulness. And Allah Azza wa revealed these verses concerning those people. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tulhikum amwalukum wa la awladukum an dhikrillah wa man yaf'al dhalika fa'ulaika humul khasirun. You who believe. Do not let your wealth or children divert you from the remembrance of Allah, meaning in particular the by prayers. Whoever does that is lost. Give will not be provided for you, i.e., and pay the zakat on it before death comes to one of you. And he says, My Lord, 
if only you would give me a little more time so that I can give sadaqah and pay zakat and be one of the righteous and perform hajj. Ibn Abbas said, no one falls short in respect of zakat and the hajj, but that he will ask to go back when he dies. وَلَنْ يُؤَقِّرَ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِذَا جَاءَ أَجَلُهَا وَاللَّهُ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah will not give anyone more time once their time has come. Allah is aware of what, of what you do. And the alternate reading of تَعْمَلُونَ is يَعْمَلُونَ 64. Surah At-Tawabu, Prophet and Nas. This surah is Medinan and has 18 ayats. This surah, Surah Al-Taghabun, is a surah that the scholars differ over in terms of its revelation. Is it a Makki surah or a Madani surah? And that's why you will find in the majority of the books of Tafsir is that the scholars differ and you will find that many scholars mention just both opinions and they don't really assert one above the other. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, however, seems to lean more towards it being a Madani surah. And maybe perhaps Allah Azza wa knows best, that is the case because as we've said, all of these surahs in the 28th juz seem to be from the Madani surahs and Allah knows best. Taghabun will come. It is from the name of the day of judgment. And Ghaban is when you have a transaction and someone wins and someone loses. Someone profits and someone loses. And that is one of the descriptions of the day of judgment. It will be a day of profit and a day of loss as Allah will mention shortly. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. يسبح لله ما في السماوات وما في الأرض له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير. Everything in the heavens and everything on earth glorifies Allah. Sovereignty and praise belongs to Him. He has power over all things. هو الذي خلقكم فمنكم كافر ومنكم مؤمن والله بما تعملون بصير. It is He who created you. Yet among you are disbelievers as well as believers. Allah sees what you do. خلق السماوات والأرض بالحق وصوركم فأحسن صوركم وإليه المصير. He created the heavens and the earth with truth and formed you, giving you the best of forms. The form of Adam and Islam is the best of forms, and He is your final destination. يعلم ما في السماوات والأرض ويعلم ما تسرون وما تعلنون والله عليم بذات الصدور. He knows everything in the heavens and earth. He knows what you keep secret and what you divulge. Allah knows what secrets and belief the heart, beliefs the hearts contain. ألم يأتكم نبأ الذين كفروا من قبل فذاقوا وبال أمرهم ولهم عذاب أليم. Has the news not reached you, unbelievers of Mecca, of those who disbelieved before and tasted the evil consequences of what they did in their unbelief in this world? They will have a painful punishment in the next world. ذلك بأنه كانت تأتيهم رسلهم بالبينات فقالوا فقالوا أبشر يهدوننا فكفروا وتولوا واستغنى الله والله غني حميد. That punishment is because the messengers brought them the clear signs, i.e., clear proofs in favor of faith. But they said, Are human beings going to guide us? So they disbelieved and turned away from faith. But Allah is completely independent of them and whether they have faith. Allah is rich beyond need of His creation. Praiseworthy. In what he does. زعم الذين كفروا أن لن يبعثوا 
قل بلى وربي لتبعثن ثم لتنبؤن بما عملتم وذلك على الله يسير Those who disbelieve claim that they will never be raised again say oh yes by my lord you certainly will be raised again and then you will be informed about what you did that is easy for Allah فآمنوا بالله ورسوله والنور الذي أنزلنا والله بما تعملون خبير. So believe in Allah and His Messenger, and the light, meaning the Quran, we have sent down. Allah is aware of what you do. يوم يجمعكم ليوم الجمع ذلك يوم التغاب. وَمَنْ يُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ وَيَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا يُكَفِّرْ عَنْهُ سَيِّئَاتِهِ وَيُدْخِلْهُ جَنَّاتٍ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ On the day he gathers you for the day of gathering, i.e. the day of rising, that is the day of profit and loss. Profit and loss refers to the fact that the believers will cause loss to the unbelievers by taking the places and families in the garden which they would have had if they had believed. As for those who believe in Allah and act rightly, He will erase their bad actions from their record and admit them to, the, them to gardens with rivers flowing under them, remaining in them timelessly forever and ever. That is a great victory. In verse number 9, the alternate readings are Nukaffir and Nudkhilhu, which is the reading of Nafi'. Ibn Amr and others. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, verse number 9, Allah Azzawajal gives two descriptions for the day of judgment. The first of them, that it is Yawmul Jam'ah, the day of gathering, because clearly everyone will be gathered on that day. And the second one after which the surah is named is Yawmul Taghabun. And as we mentioned, Taghabun is a day in which some people benefit and some people do not. Some people benefit and some people do not. And that is what I mentioned concerning uh, Profit and loss, as some of the scholars of Tafsir mentioned in their explanation of this, it is the day that the people of Jannah will be in profit and the people of the fire will be in loss. And Al Hassan al Basri has a beautiful statement and he says that it doesn't just refer to the disbelievers, but even amongst the believers and the Muslims, there are people who will have more profit and people who will have more loss because from the Muslims are those that will be punished in the fire as their sins are being cleansed until Allah Azza wa removes them as virtue by virtue of their tawheed. And that's why Al-Hasan al-Basri ta'ala said that it's possible that a person teaches knowledge, that the student that takes the knowledge from the teacher goes to Jannah, but the teacher goes to the fire because they taught for a reason other than for the sake of Allah Azza wa And it's possible that a person takes wealth in a haram way, so they are punished, but their children and the people who inherit from them take that same wealth and because they are giving sadaqah with it and benefiting others and helping others, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards them through it. And it's possible that you have a servant or a slave that is owned. The slave goes to Jannah because of their obedience to Allah, whereas the master goes to the fire because of his disobedience to Allah Azza wa That is taghabun. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take people with the same action, prayer, fasting, knowledge, charity, whatever it may be, some of people on those actions will be in profit and others will be in loss. And that is the meaning of the name At-Taghabun. And it is from the descriptions of Yomul Qiyamah. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَكَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا أُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ 
But as for those who disbelieve and deny our signs, meaning the Quran, they are the companions of the fire, remaining in it timelessly forever. What an evil destination. ما أصاب من مصيبة إلا بإذن الله ومن يؤمن بالله يهدي قلبه والله بكل شيء عليم. No misfortune occurs except by Allah's permission, i.e., in other words, His decree. Whoever believes in Allah and that everything happens by the decree of Allah, He will guide his heart to be steadfast in accepting it. Allah has knowledge of all things. وَأَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولِ فَإِن تَوَلَّيْتُمْ فَإِنَّمَا عَلَى رَسُولِنَا الْبَلَاغُ الْمُبِينَ Obey Allah and obey the Messenger If you turn your backs, the Messenger is only responsible for clear transmission. اللَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَوَكَّنِ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Allah, there is no God but Him. So let the believers put their trust in Allah. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu inna min azwajikum wa awladikum aduwan lakum fahdharuhum wa in ta'fu wa tasfahu wa taghfiru fa inna Allah ghafurur rahim. You believe. Some of your wives and children are an enemy to you. So be wary of them. Be wary of obeying them and staying behind instead of doing good actions such as jihad and hijrah. The reason for the revelation of the ayat was that some people obey their families in that respect. But if you pardon and exonerate and forgive those people for staying behind you and not doing what is good, because separation from you would be hard on them, Allah is ever forgiving most merciful. In verse 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this verse, beware of your wives and children. Some of them are enemies towards you. And the author ta'ala, says that this is the reason of revelation, the cause of revelation, and that cause of revelation is mentioned in a tirmidhi in an authentic narration of Abdullah ibn Abbas عنhuma, that there were people who accepted Islam in Mecca but then were prevented or told not to go and migrate to Medina by their families who said stay with us, their wives, their children and these were not people who were prevented because they were weak or because there were obstacles in their path or because they were being persecuted and tortured their families treated them well but their wives and children said just stay with us, you're okay here why are you going to go there and so they listened to them and then eventually when they would migrate, they would find, despite being from the Muhajireen, from the early Muslims, that much of what had transpired in Islam and much of the benefits that the Muslims had taken who had migrated in terms of virtues and rewards and spending time with the Prophet and learning the religion of Allah, much of that had passed them by because of that. And that is what Allah is referring to. Sometimes it is our own family members that are the, that are the obstacle in the path of goodness. Someone wants to go and study and learn, and it's your parents who say to you, don't go and study. Or it's your children, or it's your wife, or it's your husband, or you want to give charity, or something else. We often are obstacles in the path of goodness for ourselves and for others. And so Allah Azza wa says, as long as that is not outside of the realms, because people have rights, and there is a context to that clearly. But this is referring to those people who stop you from doing any type of good. I don't want you to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for someone who has a valid reason, or there is, you know, it's a difference of opinion that is valid, and so that's a completely different issue. But we're talking about people here that obstruct people, as those people did for their people from their family members who had accepted Islam and wanted to travel. There was no good or benefit from the, for them in remaining behind in Mecca. There was nothing for them there, and they could have easily migrated, but they chose not to, favoring the opinions and the views of their family members instead, and Allah knows best. إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ فِتْنَةٌ 
انما اموالكم واولادكم فتنه والله عنده اجر عظيم also a verse regarding this issue of wealth and family members and children becoming a trial and that doesn't necessarily mean that it is an evil trial as we've said before they are a trial but sometimes a trial can be good and it is good for the believers who know how to how to navigate through those trials and it is evil for those people who do not in the hadith in that is collected in the fourth sunan of abu dawood al-nasai at-tirmidhi and ibn majah it is said that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was once given the khutbah on the minbar on a friday and as he was given the khutbah, he saw his two grandsons, Al-Hassan and Al-Hussein, radiyallahu anhuma, entered to the masjid and they were young in age, toddlers, wearing shirts that were too long for them. So as they were walking towards him, they would trip and fall. Then they would get up and they would trip and fall, as children often do at that age. When the Prophet ﷺ saw this, he couldn't bear it. So he left the khutbah. In the middle of the khutbah, he got off the minbar. And he went to them and he picked them up. And he came back and he sat them down on the minbar. And then he said, I saw these two grandsons of mine walking and tripping, walking and tripping. And my heart could not bear it. And Allah says, fitna. Indeed your children and your wife are a trial for you. And clearly in that context it is not haram. And the trial that is being referred to is not a bad trial. It is a trial in the sense that it is something which often overtakes our hearts. But if you use that trial in a way that is good, then... That is something which Allah Azza wa benefits you from. And that is why from the etiquette of dua, which is a common mistake that people make, is that we often seek refuge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from trials. Just say trials. And that is not the sunnah. Because Allah says your children are a trial, wealth is a trial. So to seek refuge in Allah from trials in its general sense is not from the sunnah. But rather what you have in the sunnah is shabbil fitnatil mahya wal mamad, the evil of the trials of living and death, the evil of the trial of wealth and children, the evil. And that is what Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, when you ask Allah to save you from trials, you are asking him to save you from your own children and your own wealth. But rather when you ask for it, say min mudillatil fitan, O oh Allah protect us from the trials that lead us astray that take us away, that take us onto the path of misguidance. And that is why it is important to understand the context of the text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the etiquettes with which they have been revealed. And Allah Azza wa knows best. فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ مَا اسْتَطَعْتُمْ مَسْمَعُوا وَأَطِيعُوا وَأَنْفِقُوا خَيْرًا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ وَمَنْ يُوقَ شُحَّ نَفْسِهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ So be fearful of Allah. As much as you are able to, i.e. abrogating his words, be fearful of Allah with the fear that is his due. And listen to what you are commanded to do, and obey Allah, and spend for your own benefits in obedience to Allah. It is the people who are safeguarded from the average of their own selves who are successful. In verse 16, Allah Azzawajal says, Fear Allah as much as you are able. And the author says, it abrogates. And others says, other scholars say that it specifies the general verse that we covered in Surah Ali Imran. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ حَقَّ تُقَاتِهِ O you who believe, fear Allah as is, as is his right to be feared. Because none of us can fear Allah to that extent. None of us have the taqwa of Allah in a manner that is deserving and befitting of him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So therefore the concession is this verse. Fear Allah as much as you are humanly able to. In the context and the circumstances that you, are, you find yourselves within. And this verse here in Surah At-Taghabun is one of the major principles of the Sharia. 
Why don't we pray Jum'ah in these days where the coronavirus is? Because there's an epidemic and a pandemic and it's dangerous. So what is the ruling then? Even though Jum'ah is one of the most important functions of the religion and one of the most important acts of worship as we know. Fear Allah as much as you are able to. Meaning, in the current circumstances, it is the best that you can do. So it is a golden principle in the Sharia that the scholars often use in many of the rulings of Islam. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to do. إِن تُقْرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا يُضَاعِفُ لَكُمْ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ شَكُورٌ حَلِيمٌ If you make generous loan to Allah, I give you sadaqah cheerfully, He will multiply it for you from ten times, over seven hundred or more, and forgive you as He rules. Allah is all thankful for your obedience, most forbearing in not punishing you for your disobedience. And in verse 17, the alternate reading of Yudha'ifhu is Yudha'ifhu, which is the reading of Ibn Amr, Ibn Kathir and others. Alimu al-ghaybi wa-shahadati al-azizu al-hakim. The knower of the unseen and the visible, the Almighty in his kingdom, the all-wise in what he does. 65. Surah Al-Talaq, Divorce. This surah, this surah is Medinan and has 12 ayats. This is the 65th surah of the Quran and it is Surah Al-Talaq, named after divorce. And as we've mentioned before in Surah Al-Nisa and other places, it is an issue that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala focuses on in the Quran because it was one of the most common ways of oppression and one of the most common means that oppression was committed by in the time of Jahiliya, in the time of the Arabs. And so Islam came to fix those wrongs and to right those oppressions. And so even to today amongst Muslims, it is still used as a means of oppression from the wife to the husband and from the wife and the husband to the wife and from each of their families to the other. And it is often something which is done in different ways and contexts in different forms and shapes. And the Sharia came to remove oppression in every single way. And no doubt there is a reality that exists with, with divorce in terms of the difficulty that is inherent within it and the hardship that is there within it. But if someone abides by the rulings of the Sharia and the etiquettes more importantly that you find within the Quran and the Sunnah, much of that difficulty would be relieved by turning to Allah Azza wa Jal and worshipping Him and praying to Him and making dua to Him and then keeping that mutual benefit between them. And that's why you see amongst the companions that they would often get divorced. Many of them got divorced from their families. And many of those companions, those female companions, would marry other male companions amongst them. And you don't find from amongst them problems between those companions because you married my ex-wife or you married my ex-husband or whatever it may be. Or the issues that they had concerning them, which has now become rife in our time. And generally the issue of divorce has become, in its, in its own way, a pandemic. Because of a lack of understanding of the goals and objectives of marriage, number one, and then the issues that leads often leads to separation and to divorce. And ask Allah Azza wa that He makes the affairs of the Muslims easy. It is a Madani surah according to the majority of the scholars of Tafsir. In fact, by Ijma' as Al Qurtubi says that all of them say it is a Madani surah. And this is a surah then which will contain many of the rulings of divorce. We will mention some of them that require clarification, but clearly their details and their nuances need to be studied in the books of fiqh. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها النبي إذا طلقتم النساء فطلقوهن لعدتهن وأحصل عدة واتقوا الله ربكم لا تقرجوهن من بيوتهن ولا يخرجن إلا أن يأتين بفاحشة مبينة 
وتلك حدود الله ومن يتعد حدود الله فقد ظلم نفسه لا تدري لعل الله يحدث بعد ذلك أمرا أو Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم meaning that this community in relation to our fathers or it may be that Sayyid is alighted when any of you meaning want to divorce women divorce them during the period of purity and calculate their idda carefully divorce should be pronounced when the woman is pure and not menstruating, menstruating and the husband has not had intercourse with her since she became pure as the Prophet explained and as is related by both of Bukhari and Muslim count their idda carefully since the wife can be taken back before ten and have taqwa of Allah and have taqwa of Allah, your Lord and obey him in respect to his commands and prohibitions do not evict them from their homes nor should they leave their homes until they have finished their idda unless they commit an outright indecency meaning here illicit sexual intercourse in which case they are brought out to receive the had punishment those are Allah's limits and anyone who oversteps Allah's limits has wronged himself you never know it may well be that after that divorce Allah will cause a new situation to, to develop meaning possible reconciliation if there has only been a single or double pronouncement of divorce so this verse, the first verse of Surah Al-Talaq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the Prophet sallam and the author rahimahullah ta'ala says, and what is meant here is a community, because as we mentioned, even though it is the name of the Prophet sallam that is being mentioned, the Prophet sallam never got divorced according to the strongest opinion amongst the scholars of Islam. He intended, at one point, he separated from his family, as we mentioned a number of times in the verses of Ilah, but he never divorced them. So therefore the meaning is that these are rules for the community. And the name of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning the Ummah, the Muslims, and the name of the Prophet ﷺ is taken to show their importance. The first of them is that when you give talaq, do it correctly. There are two ways of doing talaq. What is known as the talaq of the sunnah and the talaq of innovation. The talaq of innovation is what the cause of revelation it is said is for this verse. And that is the hadith that the author rahimahullah mentions in Al-Bukhari Muslim. Abu Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum that he divorced his wife while she was in her menses, in her monthly cycle. So Umar and his father came and asked the Prophet and the Prophet said, tell him to take her back and wait until she becomes pure. And then she has a, uh, a, 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 a period of cleanliness and then she has another menses and then she becomes pure and then if he wishes to do so, he should divorce her in a time when he hasn't had any marital relations. So therefore the talaq of the sunnah is what? That is done in a period of cleanliness, meaning not in the monthly cycle, and in that period of cleanliness, the two of them cannot have had marital relations. If they have had marital relations, he cannot divorce her. He must wait for the next cycle and for her to become clean from that cycle. That is the way of the sunnah in terms of divorce. That is the sunnah of our Prophet And the idda period then that she waits for once that divorce has been made in a way that is according to the sunnah is what Allah mentioned in the verse that we covered in Surah Al-Baqarah. They wait for three monthly cycles or three periods after that depending on the two tafasir. Does it refer to the monthly cycle itself or the period of cleanliness? But they wait for those three monthly cycles. That is the period of the sunnah. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, or the period of the idda. And Allah says in this verse, لا تخرجوهن من بيوتهن ولا يخرجن don't expel them from their homes, nor should they leave. A common mistake today in divorce is during the Ridda period, the divorce takes place and the wife leaves and she goes back to the home of her parents. Allah says, don't force them to leave, nor should they leave, nor should they be taken away. Because for them to remain together is more likely to lead to reconciliation than if they are separated from one another. 
They don't talk, they don't speak, they don't settle their issues or their differences. It is easier and better for them to remain together unless, as Allah says, there is some major sin that has been committed and some issue which is an exception to that rule. Perhaps Allah will make things easy for you in this way. فَإِذَا بَلَغْنَ أَجَلَهُنَّ فَأَمْسِكُوهُنَّ بِمَعْرُوفٍ أَوْ فَارِقُوهُنَّ بِمَعْرُوفٍ وَأَشْهِدُوا وَأَشْهِدُوا ذَوَيْ عَدْلٍ مِّنْكُمْ وَأَقِيمُوا الشَّهَادَةَ لِلَّهِ ذَلِكُمْ يُعَظُ بِهِ مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا i.e. or close to the end of it, either retain them and take them back with correctness and courtesy, meaning without harming them, or part from them and leave them to finish their idda with correctness and courtesy, and not harm them by taking them back. Call two upright men from among yourselves as witnesses when you take back your wives or divorce them, and they, i.e. the witnesses, should carry out the witnessing for the sake of Allah, meaning not for the sake of the person against over whom he testifies. This is an admonishment for all who believe in Allah and the last day. Whoever is faithful, faithful of Allah, he will give them a way out of the grief of this world and the next. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 2, again speaking about these etiquettes, that when the waiting period, in that waiting period, you have two choices. Either you reconcile or you continue to see out the waiting period and the divorce becomes final. And each way Allah azza wa says it should be done with goodness done understanding the etiquettes that a person should have and the word ma'roof in the Quran is a general word because goodness and etiquettes differ from people's situations and their customs and their context and that is why the sharia doesn't define the meaning of goodness but he leaves it to people to determine in a way that is beneficial and mutually agreed upon amongst them and that is from the mercy of the sharia and bear witnesses as we said before when we were speaking about the private consultations that Allah Azza wa in Surah Al-Mujadala, that Allah Azza wa here is saying that you should have witnesses. And this is recommended. The witnesses meaning that if you are going to divorce or reconcile, people should know that. Even if it is family members, that is sufficient. That they should know that you have reconciled or that the divorce has become final. So that if you have reconciled, no one can accuse you of committing adultery. Meaning that you were divorced and you're still together. Or if it's the opposite that you've divorced, no one can also accuse you of something untoward. And that is the benefit of people knowing. So therefore for people, the husband and the wife, to keep this secret amongst them, they've divorced but no one knows, and no one knows, and they continue as is, for all intents and purposes, is something which the Sharia does not allow. وَيَرْزُقُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبُ وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ بَالِغُ أَمْرِهِ قَدْ جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدْرًا And provide for him from where he does not expect. Whoever puts his trust in Allah regarding his affairs, he will be enough for him. Allah always achieves his aim. Allah has appointed a measure for all things, meaning an allotted time for ease and an allotted time for hardship. And the alternate reading here, بَالِغُ أَمْرِهِ is the reading of Hafs alone. Everyone else reads it as بَالِغٌ أَمْرَهِ بَالِغٌ أَمْرَهِ in these verses at the end of verse 2 and then verse 3, Allah Azza wa Jal in the midst of these verses of divorce, as he did in Surah Al-Baqarah, if you cast your minds back in the middle of the verse of divorce, Allah spoke about the importance of salah. Here Allah Azza wa Jal in the midst of the verses of divorce speaks about turning to Allah and trusting in Him. 
and having taqwa of Allah Azza wa and if you do so, Allah will provide for you. Because that's one of the issues in divorce, where does maintenance come from, how am I going to support myself and so on. Allah will provide for you. And if you have that same type of taqwa and fear in Allah Azza wa Allah will open up a way for you, a path. Both of the husband and wife will find other spouses. Allah will make things easy for them. And that is by turning to Allah Azza wa and having trust in them. And how many people were divorced and thought that it was the end of their world? Only that Allah Azza wa through their iman and their taqwa and their dua, Allah gives them someone better in that position that they could have ever imagined. And that is the benefit of turning to Allah Azza wa Jal. In the case of those of you wives who are past the age of menstruation, if you have any doubts about their idda, their idda should be three months, and that also applies to those who have not yet menstruated because of their youth. The two cases here refer to divorce, not to when a woman is widowed. The idda of a widowed woman is always as in the ayat, those of you who die, leaving wives, they should wait by themselves for four months and ten nights. The time for women who are pregnant is when they give birth. The idda of a pregnant woman who is divorced or widowed, however, lasts until she gives birth. Whoever is fearful of Allah, he will make matters easy for him in this world and the next world. And verse number four is a clarification. Allah Azza wa in verse one said that the idda of the woman who is divorced is what is mentioned in Surah Baqarah, which is those three monthly cycles. Now, in this verse, Allah Azza wa clarifies what about those women who are past the age of menstruation. They can't count menstruation anymore. They don't menstruate. And those women who have yet to start menstruating, what about them? Allah says, for them, they count the period of three months. Three months according to the lunar Islamic calendar. And as for those women who are pregnant and are divorced in pregnancy, then their idda is the end of their pregnancy, meaning the birth of their child. And so that is also the riddah for them. And by this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala covers the different women in terms of their different circumstances. That is Allah's command about the riddah which he has sent down to you. Whoever is faithful of Allah, he will erase his bad actions from his record and greatly increase his reward. أَسْكِنُوهُنَّ مِنْ حَيْثُ سَكَنْتُمْ مِنْ وُجْدِكُمْ وَلَا تُضَارُّوهُنَّ لِتُضَيِّقُوا عَلَيْهِنَّ وَإِنْ كُنَّ أُولَاتِ حَمْلٍ فَأَنْفِقُوا عَلَيْهِنَّ حَتَّى يَضَعْنَ حَمْلَهُنَّ فَإِنْ أَرْضَعْنَ لَكُمْ فَاتُوهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ وَأْتَمِرُوا بَيْنَكُمْ بِمَعْرُوفٍ وَإِنْ تَعَاسَرْتُمْ فَسَتُرْضِعُ لَهُ أُخْرَى Let them, i.e. divorced women, live where you live, meaning in one of your houses, according to your financial means. Do not put pressure on them, i.e. do not constrict their living circumstances so that they need to go out, or their maintenance so that they are forced to ransom themselves from you, in order to harass them. If they are pregnant, maintain them until they give birth. If they are suckling for you, give them their wages for breastfeeding and consult them together with correctness and courtesy about the children so that they agree to a stated wage for breastfeeding. But if you make things difficult to one another, meaning cause difficulties for one another, in that, and the father refuses to pay and the mother refuses to do it, another woman should do the suckling for you. 
and the father should find a woman and not force the mother to breastfeed the child. And verse 6 are a great number of etiquettes as well, and that is that the husband continues to provide for his wife in that period of waiting period, the idda. And that is also a common mistake that is made that the wife goes back to her the, husband, the, the house of her parents and that's the end of the story and there is no longer anything else. Allah says the only thing in the idda that you don't do is marital relations if you want the divorce to continue. Meaning that if you don't want to reconcile, everything else continues as normal. So you continue to provide for her, you continue to maintain her, you continue to help one another and so everything else remains. It is only that one issue depending on the issue of reconciliation or not. And Allah says, and the same regarding pregnant women, until they give birth, the father has a, they have a right upon the father, she has a right upon the husband that he continues to maintain her because she carries her child. And then after the child is born, if she is suckling the child, then likewise that he maintains her meaning in a way that is good enough for her to continue to look after that child. And then clearly after that, once the child finishes that period, then the father is still liable for maintenance towards them in a way that is good. And these are from the etiquettes that our religion has placed in these issues. He who has plenty should spend meaning on his divorced wife and women who are breastfeeding for him from his plenty. But he whose provision is restricted should spend from what Allah has given him. Allah does not demand from any soul more than he has given it. Allah will appoint after difficulty ease, meaning by conquest. And verse 7 is also in a, a great etiquette that is also overseen and that is and overlooked and that is that each person is dependent upon their financial situation. Some people can't afford to give full maintenance for their children if they have a number of them and others can. So each person according to what they have and sometimes the wife may be extremely wealthy and the husband is poor and maybe she can support them more. So it is done in a way the point is point here being in a way that is mutually agreed amongst them, in a way that is good with ma'roof and with the interest of the children at heart because often those disputes lead to the children being harmed more than anyone else, more than the adults and they are the ones who are often neglected in these issues. How many of the inhabitants of cities spurned their Lord's commands, spurned their Lord's commands and his messengers and disobeyed them? And so we call them harshly to account in the next world and punish them with the terrible punishments, i.e., the fire. And the alternate reading of this verse is Nukura, with the Dhamma and the Kaf, which is the reading of Shu'ba and others. They tasted the evil consequence, consequences of meaning the penalty for what they did, and the end of their affair was total loss and destruction. Allah has prepared a terrible punishment for them. The mention of the punishment is repeated to intensify the threat. So be fearful of Allah, people of intelligence, meaning those who believe. Allah has sent down a reminder, i.e. the Quran, to you. 
رسولا يتلو عليكم آيات الله مبينات ليخرج الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات من الظلمات إلى النور ومن يؤمن بالله ويعمل صالحا يدخله جنات تجري جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها أبدا قد أحسن الله له رزقا and sent a messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, reciting Allah's clear signs to you, to bring those who believe and do right actions, meaning after the reminder and the messenger has come, out of the darkness of unbelief which they were in, into the light of faith which they have after having been unbelievers. Whoever believes in Allah and acts rightly, he will admit him into gardens with rivers flowing under them, to remain in them timelessly, forever and ever. Allah has provided for him excellently by giving him paradise, whose bliss will never be cut off. And the alternate reading in verse number 11 is Mubayyanat, with the Fatha on the Ya, which is the reading of Nafi' and Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr. Allahu alladhi khalaqa sab'a samawatin wa minal ardi mithlahunna yatanazzalun amru baynahunna lita'lamu lita'lamu anna allaha ala kulli shay'in qadiru wa anna allaha qadahata bi kulli shay'in ilma It is Allah who created the seven heavens and of the earth the same number meaning seven the command i.e. revelation descending down through all of them meaning between the heavens and the earth as Jibreel salam brings it down from the seventh heaven to the seventh earth so that by the so that by that creation and descent you might know that Allah has power over all things and that Allah encompasses all things in his knowledge. Allah informs you that he has power and knowledge of all things. 66. Surah Tahrim, The Prohibition This surah is beginning and has 12 ayats. So this is the 66th surah of the Quran, Surah Al-Tahrim and Al-Tahrim means to prohibit something, to make something prohibited and it is a madadi surah according to all of the scholars of tafsir as stated by Imam Al-Qurtubi Rahimahullah Ta'ala Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Ya ayyuhan nabiyu lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu lak tabatagi mardata azwajika wallahu ghafoorur rahim O Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam why do you make unlawful what Allah has made lawful for you? Meaning, this has to do with this slave girl, Maria the Copt, عنها, when he slept with her in the house of Hafsa, عنها, who was absent. When Hafsa عنها, came back unexpectedly, it was hard for her that this had happened in her house and on her bed. The Prophet وسلم, then said, She is haram for me, i.e., seeking by doing this to please your wives. Allah is ever forgiving, meaning, and forgives you, thus making this, forgives you, making this unlawful for yourself. Most this is the verse, the first verse of Surah Al-Tahreem, something that we alluded to in Surah Al-Imran, in the first verse of the fourth juz, when we said that the Prophet Yaqub in his sharia would make certain things haram for himself, as a means of coming closer to Allah and how that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our religion made that haram, meaning that something which is halal in our religion, I cannot make it haram upon myself. Haram means that if I think, by thinking that if I do it, Allah will punish me, that I am sinful. I can leave something because I don't like it. I can leave something because I want to have a personal preference. I'm on a diet or it's just my choice. But that's not haram. I don't say it's a sin on myself or someone else. And the difference here though is that it was haram. Meaning that it is sinful for me. That is the difference. That is not allowed in our religion for that which Allah has made halal. The first verse of Surah Al-Tahreem. There are two 
causes of revelation that are revealed for it. And both of them are authentic. The first of them is what is mentioned by the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, which is an authentic hadith collected by Al-Hakim in his Mustadraq and Imam al-Nasai in his Sunan. And that is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on the day that he was in the house of, of Hafsa, radiyallahu anha, one of his wives, he had a, uh, he had uh, relations with his with his uh, with his servant, his slave girl Maria, who is the mother of his son Ibrahim. And when Hafsa radiallahu anha comes back, she's upset and she says, Oh Messenger of Allah, why did you choose my day, my house, my time to do this? She was upset, thinking that it wasn't something that he should have done. The Prophet when he saw how upset she was, he said, If I promise never to do it again, meaning that I will make a haram upon myself, will that please you? And that is why the verse was revealed. That the Prophet ﷺ is making something haram upon himself that Allah has made halal. That is one cause of revelation that is authentic and mentioned in the books of tafsir. The second one is the more famous one. And that is the story of Ghani mentioned in the hadith in al-Bukhari uh, of Aisha radiallahu anha. And that is that Zainab bin Tujahsh radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, when the Prophet ﷺ would visit her, he would, she would give him honey. And we know as we mentioned before, I'm sure in a hadith, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, the Prophet used to love sweet things and he used to love honey. So she gave him honey, the honey that he enjoys so much. And the other wives didn't like that he would enjoy so much the honey because when he would come to them, he would often say, Zainab gave me amazing honey. Zainab has this amazing honey. Whenever I go and see Zainab, she gives me honey. So Aisha radiallahu anha and Hafsa radiallahu anha, the two other wives of the Prophet said amongst themselves, let us agree. That when he comes to us and he says the honey was amazing, we say, yes, O Messenger of Allah, it was nice, but it's left a very bad odor in your mouth. You smell, don't, you don't smell very good. I will say it to him, you say it to him. So when both of us say it, he will know that it's not just one or the other, it is something which is true. So they made this plan amongst themselves and they did so. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ didn't dislike anything the way that he disliked foul smells. Didn't allow people to come to the masjid if they ate onions and garlic and so on. Didn't like foul smells, alayhi salatu wasalam, and often used the miswak for that reason. So when he heard this from them, he said, I will make it haram upon me. I won't eat that again. And so Allah Azza wa revealed this verse. Both of them are authentic narrations and both of them are mentioned as the cause of revelation. And it is possible that both of these things happened very close in a period of time. And Allah Azza wa revealed it after both of those incidents happened. And so therefore it includes both of them. And Allah knows best. قَدْ فَرَضَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ تَحِلَّةَ إِيمَانِكُمْ وَاللَّهُ مَوْلَاكُمْ وَهُوَ الْعَلِيمُ الْحَكِيمُ Allah has made the expiation of your oaths obligatory for you and shown you how to release oaths by expiation as I mentioned in Surah Al-Naida. One such oath was to make the slave girl unlawful. If the Prophet performed the kafara, Muqatil said he freed a slave on account of making Maria unlawful. Al-Hassan said that he did not perform an expiation as Allah forgave him. Allah is your master. He is the all-knowing, your wise. In verse number two, the scholars differ. Allah says that you have to give an expiation because the Prophet made something haram and now it's halal. But why do they differ over this? Because did he take an oath or not? The expiation is for taking an oath. The Prophet said it was haram for me. But he didn't take an oath according to the narrations. So those scholars who say that it was an oath say that he must make an expiation, that he made an expiation. And those scholars who said that he didn't, say that he didn't make an expiation. And that is the position as the author mentions of Al-Hassan. And Al-Hassan, when he's mentioned like that, Al-Hassan, by itself, in the books of Hadith and Fiqh and Tafsir, means Al-Hassan al-Basri, 
rahimahullah ta'ala. Anarul Hassan, the grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa despite his position and status that is well known. Al-Hassan, when it is mentioned just as the name, is the famous illustrious scholar amongst the tabi'een, Al-Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala. وَإِذْ أَسَرَّ النَّبِيُّ إِلَىٰ بَعْضِ أَزْوَاجِهِ حَدِيثًا فَلَمَّا نَبَّأَتْ بِهِ وَأَظْهَرَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ عَرَّفَ بَعْضَهُ وَأَعْرَضَ عَنْ بَعْضٍ فَلَمَّا نَبَّأَهَا بِهِ قَالَتْ مَنْ أَنْبَأَكَ هَذَا قَالَ نَبَّأَنِيَ الْعَلِيمُ الْخَبِيرُ Remember when the Prophet and he told her not to divulge it. Then, when she divulged it to Aisha, عنها, thinking that there was no harm in doing so, Allah disclosed that to him, and he communicated part of it to Hafsa, and withheld part of it, meaning out of generosity in his part. When he told her of it, she said, Who told you of this? He said, The all-knowing and all-aware informed me of it. And that is because they said to the Prophet How do you know what happened? How do you know what took place? How do you know what we agreed? And Allah Azza wa Jalla said that it was a revelation that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In tatuba in Allah faqad sagat kulubukuma wa in tadahara alayhi fain Allah huwa mawla huwa jibrinu wa salihul mu'mineen wal manaikatu ba'da thalika zaheer. If the two of you, meaning Aisha and Hafsa, would only turn to Allah, my heart clearly deviated i.e. because they wanted to make Maria unlawful and were happy about that. Although the Prophet ﷺ disliked it, that was a wrong action. The plural hearts is used instead of two hearts because the plural has greater weight. But if you support one another against him, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, in what he dislikes, Allah is his protector, and so are Jibreel and every right acting man of the believers, i.e. particularly Aisha and Hafsa's fathers, Abu Bakr and Umar, anhuma. And furthermore, the angels too will come to his support against the two wives referred to. In verse number four, the alternate readings are Tadahara, Tadahara and Tadahara, and Yubdilahu and Yubaddilahu. Allah Azza wa mentions here that if they, Allah says to the wives of the Prophet that if you try to do something like this, meaning that you agree amongst yourselves on something in order to get the Prophet to change his mind, then Allah Azza wa is the one who is with him and Jibreel, and the believing men from amongst the Muslims, and uh, all, the, all the righteous amongst the Muslims, men and women. And it is said in some of those narrations that Abu Bakr al-Umar came to the Prophet and they said, O Messenger of Allah, command us with what you like and we will do it. To the extent that Umar said, O Messenger of Allah, if you commanded me to, I would deal with Hafsa. And if you commanded Abu Bakr to, he would deal with Aisha. Radiallahu anhum ajma'een. And that is to show the level of their allegiance to the Prophet over and above every other relation. عَسَى رَبُّهُ إِن طَلَّقَكُنَّ أَن يُبْدِلَهُ أَزْوَاجًا خَيْرًا مِنْكُنَّ مُسْلِمَاتٍ مُسْلِمَاتٍ مُؤْمِنَاتٍ قَانِتَاتٍ تَائِبَاتٍ عَابِدَاتٍ عَابِدَاتٍ سَائِحَاتٍ ثَيِّبَاتٍ وَأَبَكَارًا It may be that if he does dispose you referring to the Prophet ﷺ divorce his wives, his Lord will give them in exchange better wives than you, i.e. the exchange did not happen because he did not divorce them. Muslim women, believing women, obedient women, penitent women, women who worship, women who fast much, i.e. or ambivalence, previously married women as well as virgins. 
Safeguard yourselves and your families, i.e., by obeying Allah, from a fire whose fuel is evil, meaning unbelievers and stones, i.e., particularly idols made of stone. It will burn extremely fiercely, not like the fire of this world, which only burns wood and similar fuels. Harsh, meaning hard hearted, terrible, meaning very strong, angels are in charge of it, who are 19 in number, as mentioned in Surah Al Mudathir. Who do not disobey Allah in respect of any order He gives them, who do not disobey Allah in respect of any order He gives them, and who carry out what they are ordered to do so. This ayat is intended to alarm and frighten the believers so that they never revert to unbelief and to frighten the hypocrites who express the belief on their tongues but not in their hearts. And it is also intended, in addition to what the author mentioned, verse 6, as a command that one of the greatest duties that we have is to protect ourselves and our families from the fire. And so the parents are responsible for their children until they reach the age of puberty in order, in, order, in terms of giving them good tarbiyah and good education and teaching them and placing within them the importance of iman and the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to prepare them in the best of ways just as we prepare them for marriage and for education and for a career and for a job and for a house and everything else that we do. The greatest of preparation that you can give to your child and the one by which they will attain salvation in this life and the next is this preparation to keep them safe from the fire of hell by the permission of Allah Azza wa Jal. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَا تَعْتَذِرُوا الْيَوْمِ إِنَّمَا تُجَزَوْنَ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ You who disbelieve, do not try to excuse yourselves today. This will be said to them when they enter the fire. Their excuses will be of no use to them. You are merely being repaid for what you did. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا تُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ تَوْبَةً نَصُوحًا عَسَى رَبُّكُمْ عَسَى رَبُّكُمْ أَنْ يُكَفِّرَ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ وَيُدْخِلَكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِيَ الْأَنْهَارُ يَوْمَ لَا يُخْزِي اللَّهُ النَّبِيَّ يَوْمَ لَا يُخْزِي اللَّهُ النَّبِيَّ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ نُورُهُمْ يَسْعَى بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا أَتْمِمْ لَنَا نُورَنَا وَاغْفِرْ لَنَا إِنَّكَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ You who believe, repent sincerely to Allah. This means having a sincere intention not to revert to wrong actions or repeat them. It may, i.e. perhaps, be that your Lord will erase your bad actions from you and admit you into gardens with rivers flowing under them. On the day when Allah will not disgrace the Prophet and those who believed along with him by making them into the fire, their light will stream out ahead of them and on their right. They will say, Our Lord, perfect our light for us and forgive us. The light of the hypocrites will be put out, while the light of the believers will run ahead of them to the garden. You have power over all things. يا أيها النبي جاهد الكفار والمنافقين واغلظ عليهم ومأواهم جهنم وبئس المصير. O Prophet do jihad with the sword against the unbelievers and with the tongue and proof against the hypocrites and be harsh with them, meaning with rebuke and hatred. Their refuge is hell, what an evil destination. 
ضرب الله مثلا للذين كفروا امرأة نوح وامرأة نوط كانتا تحت عبدين من عبادنا صالحين فخانتاهما فلم يغنيا عنهما من الله شيئا وقيل دخل النار مع الداخلين Allah has made an example for those who disbelieve the wife of Nuh, the wife of Lot. They were married to two of our slaves who were righteous but they betrayed them, meaning in respect of the deen since they disbelieved. The wife of Nuh, who was named Wahila, used to tell her people that he was insane. The wife of Lot, who was named Wahila, directed his people to his guests when they stayed with him in the night by lighting a fire and in the day by making smoke and were not helped at all against Allah. Neither Nuh nor Lot could help him against Allah's punishment. They were told, enter the fire along with all who enter it, leaving the unbelievers of the people of Nuh and the people of Lot. In verse number 10, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this example that we've alluded to before in the Quran. And that is the example of the two wives of these prophets, Nuh and Lut Despite their status and their position in the sight of Allah Azza wa their wives would not believe and they could not help them in any way. Meaning those prophets could not help their wives. And this example therefore, completes the family circle that is mentioned in the Quran of children not benefiting their parents and parents not benefiting their children and spouses not benefiting their spouses as has been mentioned elsewhere in the Quran Ibrahim السلام, doesn't benefit his father Nuh doesn't benefit his son and now the prophets don't benefit their wives and that shows that Iman comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's not just by virtue of being close to someone who is who is good and that's why sometimes we often have this mistake that we see someone who's pious and righteous or maybe a scholar that we know someone of the scholars who's, and their children are very practicing or they're not very good Muslims or maybe they're not even Muslims at all and we think how is that possible Allah says it happened to the prophets of Allah it is not by proximity to Iman that someone becomes a Muslim and a good and strong Muslim otherwise the Quraysh were extremely close by lineage and by uh, by distance to the Prophet but it is a light that Allah places in the hearts of those whom he is pleased with وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مْرَأَةَ فِرْعَوْنَ إِذْ قَالَتْ رَبِّ بِنِ لِي عِنْدَكَ بَيْتًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَنَجِّنِي مِنْ فِرْعَوْنَ وَعَمَلِهِ وَنَجِّنِي مِنَ الْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah has made an example for those who believe the wife of Pharaoh, Asya, who believed in Musa and whom Pharaoh tortured by staking it out by the hands and feet with pegs placing a large millstone on her chest and leaving her in the sun. When he left her, the angels who were entrusted with her shaded her. And when she was being tortured, she said, My Lord, build a house in the garden for me in your presence, i.e., and a place in the garden was shown to her. And so the torture was made easy for her to bear, and rescue me from Pharaoh and his deeds, meaning specifically his torture, and rescue me from this wrongdoing people, i.e., the people of his religion. Allah took her soul. According to Ibn Qaysan, she was raised alive to the garden where she is now eating and drinking. In verse number 11, then Allah gives the opposite example of the believing woman who comes in the household from a household of darkness and oppression and kufr and shirk in the household that is known as one of the most tyrannical that Allah has placed on the face of the earth. And that is Pharaoh. His wife is Asiya. As is mentioned in the hadith of Al-Bukhari of Abu Musa al-Ashadi which the Prophet said that she was from the most complete of women in her intellect, in her knowledge and so on. Asiya, the wife of Pharaoh, alayhi salatu wassalam. And Asiya is 
uh, is one of the greatest of the women, therefore that Allah Azza wa refers to in the Quran. And what he says in terms of, it is said that she was tortured by Pharaoh when she, when she declared her iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and her acceptance of the message that was brought by the Prophet Musa alayhi salatu was salam. And what he mentions here at the end, according to Ibn Qaysan, that is a Israeli. We don't know if that is true or not. Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. It's not an authentic hadith. And Ibn Qaysan is Tawus. Tawus Ibn Qaysan. He is often referred to as Tawus and sometimes Ibn Qaysan. Tawus is from the senior companions of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma and from the senior companions or from the senior students of a number of the companions but primarily he is known as one of the major students of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. And from the beauty of this dua that is mentioned here of Asiya and the translation actually makes qalb, it changes the order around. She says, Rabbibni li indaka baytan fil jannah. Oh Allah, build for me in, next to you a house in Jannah. Not build a house in the garden for me in your presence. It's the other way around. And that's why Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti said, she asked for good companionship before she asked for good residence. And that is a beautiful etiquette in dua. And that is why the companions would often say to the Prophet O oh, Messenger of Allah, we want to be your companions in Jannah. And they wouldn't say, we want the highest level of Jannah. Because by having good companionship, you have the best of levels. But they want good companionship. And so she doesn't ask for, and so the translation is slightly the other way around. It should be, my Lord, build for me next to you a house in Jannah. Build for me a house next, uh, next to you a house in Jannah. The other way around. That is what she makes the dua for. Because there is an etiquette in that dua. And that etiquette is that she asks for good companionship before she asks for good residence and Allah knows best we breathed our ruh into her, meaning Jibreel Breathe Breathed a breath of Allah's creating, breathed the breath of Allah's creating into the front of her shift, so that it reached her womb, and she came pregnant, and she became pregnant with Isa, and she confirmed the words of her Lord, i.e. his laws, and his revealed books, and was one of the obedient to Allah. And in this last verse of Surah At-Tahreem, Allah Azza wa mentions the status of Maryam alayhi which has preceded a number of times in the Quran, and that is because of her position and her virtue alayhi salam and with that we come to the end of the tafsir of surah al-tahreem and the end of the 28th juz by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore to the end of today's session wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen this recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.